Welcome to episode 216 of the Overlook Hour. I am your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is not Randy Michaelstadt. He is currently in Boise, Idaho. We'll get more on that here in a minute. But joining us as his replacement, behind the dish, controlling the boards, rubbing the knobs... It's one Russell John Fisher. I don't like that new intro. Also, when uh, Randy wasn't here, I have three options of mean things to play for Randy now. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want? One, two, or three? Uh, let's go three for Babe Ruth. Hey, Woody Allen called. He wants his identity back. Oh, boy. Yeah, fuck you, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So mean. That was from Rising Stars. Also joining us in every intro that we do is Oksana Valerianabanaba Osachi. Hi. Oksana, how are you today? Uh, well, I'm missing a live stream to do this podcast, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> what is that about? Charles started his live streams today. All right, now I feel no good <laughs> whatsoever. Dude, you don't care about Wondering Panda? So, uh, Chuggy, uh, a.k.a. Charles Kerygma. A.k.a. who survived the mall shooting. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, he has started a, a live streaming uh, Twitch campaign. He started his own channel. Uh, I forgot the game he's playing already. He's, is, is this happening right now as we speak? Um, I don't know if it's still going because it's been a couple hours since um, since I left oh, the chat. It's, it's going still. It's I still think, going? I think so. Okay, what is Charles's uh, name? It's Wondering. He was like, dude, can you believe nobody had Wondering Panda? But I'm the like, O is a zero. Also, Wandering oh, is with an A. <laughs> I'm like, dude, your name is Wondering. <laughs> Of course nobody has that. Why would they? Oh, he wanted it to... Oh, He wanted no. wandering. And it's wandering. He's wandering, Panda. So, <laughs> Charles, you are an idiot. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think he came over here from the Philippines when he was oh, like Oh, right, here we go. I've got it live I think right older. here. Oh, he's still going. Was he about to talk shit? It just cut? It just stopped. His audio is very His audio is shitty. Right now. He, he's on there talking shit about us right now? Dude, I literally just pulled it up, <laughs> and that is the only thing he said, is that Russell and them. Also, oh, it's going in and out. Yeah, so yeah he has a, guy, he has it, like, happens, it happens when I watch you guys, too. Really? Yeah. That's why I stopped the other day, is because it just froze for five minutes. Oh. Really? It freezes up all the time. I wonder if that's our internet here. Nope. Nope. Cut it's again. Going in no, I'm not. All right. I would get off the internet and just use your. Oh, oh I just. It was. It was out. worse when I used, not the Wi-Fi. I don't know why. Okay. I don't know Wi-Fi. I don't know Wi-Fi. Twitch, get your shit together. <laughs> um. So joining us this week is the great Jen Wexler. Jen joins us, uh, from her home in Brooklyn, New York, as she talks to us about uh, her feature film. The Ranger, and also she talks about. I, 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 you know, I do that on purpose, right? Okay, yeah. Just to give me a mini a heart attack. Bit. It yeah. does. It does give me a little bit of joy. Um, although I do that regularly uh, because I am a mental deficient. Again, we issue an apology in the intro of the show <laughs> uh, because we made about nineteen mistakes in last week's episode, and frankly, this week's. I don't know if we're heading in the right direction. Uh, but we're gonna. Uh, we had a great interview with Jen. Um, we talk a lot about Madeline. 
There was a common connection between the two. R.I.P. R.I.P. Madeline, uh, who joined us last week. And so uh, we were super excited to talk to Jen uh, about both her directing work and producing work. Uh, we had some questions that we needed answered. Jen did a great job, and uh, we were super excited to talk to her. And I think it's a great episode. Russell Fisher, your thoughts? Um, in the interview, I was a little concerned that Jen uh, thought we were losers and didn't want to open up. I think she's just... Uh, not used to our uh, annoying personalities. We are very annoying. <laughs> and uh, we don't do a traditional interview show. Also, we, we want to uh, you know, have a nice rapport with our guests, which I think we did the best we could. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to lead that in the wrong way. She emailed back just now saying it was a blast. So I take it back. She liked us. It's, it's at least a very good networking, very nice thing to do. Again, Jen's a professional producer. She knows how to grease the I right I know, way. right? <laughs> so, Jen, thank you so much uh, for doing the show. Um, so, before we throw it to all that, um, and then Oksana joined us in the intro this week. So, thank you for that. How'd, how'd you enjoy... Uh, you've, done a, you've done a couple episodes, full episodes with us. It's been a while, though. Um... <laughs> Thank you so much. I can only think of one. Oh, well, not counting the uff ones. Um, I feel like I'm I'm maybe getting used to talking on mic, but I don't know. Yeah, it's only taken four years, so we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> We're not even there yet. Take another four. Oh. So, Oksana, tell us uh, what we got uh, for VOD this week. Any screenings? What's going on? We do have two theatrical releases to talk about. Oh, boy. Yeah. By the way, can we go see the Liam Neeson movie? Or I don't want to go see that. Am I going to have to if go you're see excited to, I'll go. I'm excited to, but it's not going to be good. Do I need to, is there something that you have to watch before it? Like the other 14 taken? No, 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 no. It's got nothing to do. <laughs> see, this is the on. problem. This is why I want... Okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. All right. Y'all are going to watch the best Liam Neeson movie. And then it, you're gonna you're gonna forget anything about all the Takens, cause you just see him as the Taken man. Wait, He's not the Taken man. I first saw him in Love Actually. <laughs> yes, I'm not gonna make you watch Love Actually. He's quite on Jin to me. I've seen it several times. You need to see Cold Pursuit. I didn't like Love Actually. Why didn't you like Love Actually? I rewatched it years later, and I don't like it anymore. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> just in. Christmas is all around us. Uh, he, Billy, what's his name? He was the best, though. I feel it in my finger. Billy who? Idol? Billy. I feel it in my toe. What's his name? I think it is Billy Mac. That's a cool name. He's the, uh, really the washed up pop star where they try and change Love is All Around to Christmas is All Around. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that movie. I like him. Again, Qui-Gon Jinn <laughs> is my Liam Neeson. It's it's so painfully sweet and saccharine. Yeah. That's yeah. why I was just like, oh. I remember like crass humor in there, though. They're like, yeah, we're going to fuck on the bed or like some weird shit. Uh, but that director. Mm-hmm. Uh, is no. It, is it Richard <laughs> Curtis, I believe? His uh, He did another movie called About Time. Oh. Uh, which, it's as a time? single man in his late 20s when I saw this. It's not a movie for a single man in his late 20s to go see. Why? I should have been seeing another Liam Neeson movie, okay. but I saw this romantic comedy that brought me to tears. Oh, I totally forgot to talk about American Utopia. Anyway, oh, we'll yeah. talk about next week. Yeah. Uh, I'll make a note. That also made me cry. Did Love Actually make you cry? Um, I don't think so. But yeah. again, it's it's a very sweet... You know what? It maybe did. 
<laughs> the little kid. That little kid's adorable. Well, you gotta. Oh, the little boy with the he makes uh, the little girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's very sweet. <laughs> I have no idea. But a couple of those storylines are Stinktown, USA. <laughs> oh yeah, it's an anthology kind of thing. Kinda. Yeah, it's, it's like all intersecting. Lines no, what are we talking? About? It's Halloween. Together. No, it's idea. Halloween time. Yeah, good job with your Christmas movie. <laughs> it's a Liam Neeson movie. All right, what else we got? So the movie I was going to talk about, which is coming out um, this Friday, the 23rd in theaters, it's going to have um, a limited early screenings on Thursday. It's called The Empty Man. Ooh. It's, empty Man, Empty Man, Empty uh, Man, Empty Man. It's got some similarities to another man movie. <laughs> uh, what man? does that sentence mean? Wait, take a guess. Tom. Invisible oh. Man. Peeping Tom. Man. Oh. Butterfly Kisses. That's not a man movie. Uh, it's not. I realized as I was saying it, but um, so I just want to let you know man. you're doing a great job. <laughs> I, yeah. Madeline has a whole man movie list. I know it's not in the title, but I was. I guess I should have said uh, he has similarities to another urban legend who has man in it. There we go. Okay. Sometimes. <laughs> so- <laughs> Chester the Monster. That was my favorite version of that name. Blink Man, Peeping Tom. So the Empty Man. Um, you summon him if you happen to find an empty bottle on a bridge. <laughs> like a genie? You rub an and empty I, Coke bottle? I think you say empty man. You say something into the bottle. Three times, maybe? <laughs> okay. So, so when are we watching this? I want to watch it in theaters like as soon as possible. It comes so, out so on the 23rd. It uh, will be playing San Bruno Tanfran. Okay. okay, cool. It's over two hours long. Oh, oh <laughs> no. Oksana, Why? <laughs> So get the large popcorn if you're gonna it's see an it. It's an epic two-hour so um after mall horror movie. After you s- summon him on the first night, you hear him. On the second night, you see him, and on the third night, he finds you. He takes his damn time. I, know. <laughs> I mean, he's faster than uh than seven days. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the empty man. Um, so again, comes out on Friday the twenty-third. Empty. It shares a release date with. Synchronic? Oh. The latest Benson and Moorhead project. Oh, see oh. if we can book him. Good we'll for them. talk about that film. We're like, That's, hey, remember? That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> good for them. Good for them. Good guys. That will be good guys. in uh, select theaters on Friday the 23rd. This weekend is also um, the Sacramento Film Fest, the 25th year, I believe. I, I shouldn't what was have the even... name of the Bottle Man? Empty man. Empty man. <laughs> Empty bottle man. But well, the poster too is very it's, it's reminiscent to at least one of the Blink Man pieces of art. Oh, Russ, what do you think of that poster? I like it. I don't. Hate I, it. I don't hate it. Yeah. I, I watched part of the trailer just to get a feel for it, and that's where I got most of my information. <laughs> Wait, Stephen Root is in this? Okay, sign me up. Let's go. Don't know. Steven Root is one of the most uh, recognizable character actors of his generation. I'll take your word for it. Because okay. <laughs> I can't remember. Um, well, what the fuck was that movie? It was a man movie. And we had Nilo on and Madeline. The Bye Bye Man? The Bye Bye Man. Th- I, could not pull, I could not pull that name. How dare you? I couldn't think of it. How blasphemous for you to forget. You spell that B-I-B-I man, right? <laughs> I can go by as fast the, as you can. Doug Jones curse. Oh God, it's not that. All right, good. what else we got? Um, so this weekend, 
the 24th and 25th, is the first virtual edition of Frameline Fangs. It's going to be the 24th and 25th, Saturday and Sunday. It's co-presented by Gay Gaming Professionals and Frameline Film Festival. Peaches Christ is involved. Um... And they have all their information on their Facebook page. I did a really bad job of <laughs> sorting through it. What's it called? DNR? I For- learned you taught me that during the episode. TLDR? Oh, oh, oh DNR. Yeah, TLDR oh. is something different. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know it. <laughs> That's probably what you did, though. It was well, because I <laughs> was going to look through it instead of coming in here. But it doesn't <laughs> matter. Sorry, I, got, I was looking this up. I've got breaking news uh, oh, regarding the, the Empty Man. Uh, this is directed by David Pryor. David Pryor, Pryor's work, <laughs> includes Benjamin Button. Oh. Really? He directed it? That can't be right, right? Oh, he directed... Oh. There's something about Zodiac? He does documentaries of films. He did a three-hour documentary on the curious birth of Benjamin Button. Oh. Oh, Okay. Whoa. That's even weirder. So we've got a um, Daniel Farron's on our hands. I always wonder whenever you have a dude that's clearly been in their own lane for a long time, and then they jump over with a horror feature, I always imagine a producer just being like, just do this thing. It'll make money, and then you can have a career. And Interesting. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm in. And for Frameline, we should definitely try and watch that. Yeah, definitely. Last year, um, when they were able to do it at the Roxy Theater, they showed Knife and Heart, and it was great. great. Yeah, Knife and Heart was really good. Anything else? Nope. For any questions, queries, concerns, or comments, please direct those at podcast at overlooktheater.com. Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, the other one. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. It's not any of my business what you do on your own personal time. The Overlook Hours available on Facebook as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Twitter as The Overlook Hour. The Overlook Hours available on Instagram as The Overlook Theater. Find us, like us, comment, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Russell? Get on Twitter and interact with us. We're doing it now. Getting better. Yeah, and on Reddit. And interact with Creepy Clark. And, yeah, write a fucking two-sentence horror story. They're easy. Again, have no idea why this bit's still going on. Um, so yeah, so let's throw it to uh, Creepy Clark, who's going to kick this bad boy off, and stay tuned for Jen Wexler. Great interview, great guest, great time. <laughs> that's that's going to be the new sign-off. <laughs> I've never been in here when you throw it to Creepy Clark. I, I think this is the like... first time where I officially throw oh, okay. it to Creepy Clark. I yeah. think that we need to set this up, because I think if you go in blind to Creepy <laughs> Clark, then I, I, why listen? Yeah. Why continue to listen? It explains why that pole's over there. I imagine you beat the trap door with it. Indeed. Dangle some fish over it. Is that what he eats? Enjoy the show. (laughs) Garbage? Is he the one that ran through our garbage? It's this thought that upsets me most when reflecting on how they've taken my hands. You get it? Because I can't clip the hangnails because I don't have hands anymore. I nailed that cue. <laughs> this I'm is sorry. the first time that you've done it correctly. <laughs> <laughs>
I do and appreciate you, you that. You scolded happened. me before. I was very nervous. Yeah, it was not... Why is it? What is it? Is there a little bit of delay in between that? It's it's the program I'm using. I think it's early software, and there's just a l- tiny delay. So I'm like holding my breath whenever Creepy Clark's going at it. Yeah, Creepy, I'm sorry about that. Well, thank you, Clark. Also, I think this is the first time that we've had a conversation together because there's been rumors that you know you and I are the same person. We want to put that out right now that that is not the case. That Creepy Clark and Clark. William Little are two different people. <laughs> they have their own separate Twitter account, so. And we have our own separate sexual lives as well. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't see how that's necessary. So uh, go, go back into your little hole, Clark. Thank you very much. He's much cuter, too. He's not bad, which I don't understand why Randy keeps rejecting him. It's very oh. sad. We need to talk about Randy. We do need to talk about Randy. But before we talk about Randy, let's talk about this week's Two Sentence Horror Story, uh, brought to you by the king of the Two Sentence Horror Story, Mr. Joe Oliver, with his sixth uh, contribution uh, to this segment that has, um, frankly, gone on far too <laughs> longer. Far, t- It's gone on longer than any of us uh, have anticipated. Um, in my case, maybe ha- would have wanted uh, to go on, as this is the most successful bit that we've done on this show, and I don't know why. How long has it been going now? I feel like for six years. You know, I could look that up. It started in the two hundred, so I, I think we're like, I think we're like ten in. Let me see at at two oh five. Two oh five. So uh, eleven episodes. That's a lot. That's eleven weeks of you doing the same. You know, bit. All, yeah, all in quarantine. Yeah, and the the quarantine episodes did not last. <laughs> I think we did four of those. I mean, Russell, if they had lasted, they would have lasted until the end of time. Yeah, I mean, on you know, looking back now, they were mostly for mental um, therapy. They, I think, I really just wanted to sit down and talk to our friends on yeah. you know the other side of the country when things were just so uncertain. And now I just don't care about them anymore. <laughs> Isolation took the place of that because now they pop up in the. Do chat not sometimes. come on this show and plug your other projects, Osachi. It's not even my project. Yeah, you're the star of it, though. Uh, if we didn't have a girl on that couch, it wouldn't work. I'm the I'm the easiest target for all the dumb scare tactics they use. You should just do your own gameplays on YouTube. No. You don't want to be a streamer. Not even a little bit. Are you saying that, Are you saying that you get scared easier than Terrell on these scary games? Um. Yeah, I think so. I get messed up on those. You remember me playing uh, Jason Friday the Thirteenth? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, was kind of shocked. That's horrifying. I thought you were joking. Do you remember that over at the uh, other house? Barely. I don't think I saw a whole lot of it. He came in, and I think we were waiting to screen something. I was like, "Here, do you want to play?" And then you just screamed. You screamed, and then you came <laughs> right back to it. And you're like, "Oh God, that was frightening." It was very stressful. It was a very weird reaction. I can't handle being chased, so I would suck at that game, too. I mean, I think it would get really old seeing me scream and fall apart yeah, at almost know. everything. I think people like that. A- authentic reaction. <laughs> well, authentic reaction. That That's an interesting way to cue up this. So we might as well go ahead and get into it. Uh, this is take two uh, for this intro. As we went a solid 20 minutes, yep. and then Russell realized yeah. he didn't hit record. I know. I f- I'm so bummed. Because I have a segment coming up, and I, I held it. I God, you know how hard it is to not talk to you about something? 
Like, I see you every day. Yeah. Especially something that we're both kind of, like, mutual fans of. Yeah. Oh, man, I was biting my tongue, and then, I, you know, it. I wasn't fucking recording it. I was it's very my, impressed. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, we'll get into that here in a minute. Uh, we'll, we'll stay on this, the course here uh, with our segments and everything. And uh, I am the third engineer to do this, so I don't feel alone. This is a common thing, and, but, but I, I do I think that it. it's a nice uh, addition of irony into this as uh, <laughs> part of one of the segments that we have to do in the show. Is issue an apology to our guest last week. Uh, so we are just uh, fuck up abounds yeah. here at the Overlook Hour. It's the beauty of we, life. As we limp into episode 216. Uh, so last week we had the great guest, the great act- actress Lauren Ashley Carter, who I referred to as Ashley several times. <laughs> Lauren, what you don't realize is that we edited out at least two other times where I called you <laughs> Ashley. We took those out of the episode. We found those. The ones that were in there, again, we'll blame Randy for that. So, yeah. well, and everyone gets blamed today. I own, I need to own part of this apology because I kind of shoehorned in. I got excited during the interview and I realized that you had sung a song and I, I didn't stick around for the credits to hear it, but I had the Amazon Prime window open on my computer, so I just cut to the credits and played an inaudible mess. And um, yeah, I fucked that thing up too. Anyway, here, here's the actual song. Let's just play a little bit of it. It is up in the show notes from last week. Yeah. And uh, yeah, this is Lauren singing, which... Now, having seen the film, I don't know why it happened. Her character would not be doing this. But here, here's just a little taste of her vocal styling. Do you know why it happened? Because she's got a great voice. It's beautiful. Why not close out the movie with this? I know. And, again, that's up online. I think we tweeted it out, too. Currently, there are only eight views on uh, YouTube. So, go bump up that count. So I don't know who's it. making money from that. Who, who's various artists? You know what? Don't bump that <laughs> up. <laughs> don't give them anything. Oh, various. Now, this is a three-part apology. Did you? Right. So when I was answering Lauren and I was warning her that he had pulled up the, the credit song she sang, um, I mentioned the wrong movie title. Which, which one did I say? I it, can't remember. Premium Rush. Premium Rush, yeah. So, so when, when I went that she sung in Premium Rush, <laughs> I've never seen Premium Rush. <laughs> I'm on a bicycle, but I'm I knew delivering papers. It was a, a two part title, and I was like, yeah, I think it's this one. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, and the only reason we caught it was because I went in, I was writing her an email to apologize, and then I saw it before. I'm like, oh my god, we now we I want to now I want to write a Premium Rush song for for you Lauren to watch that movie. It's wild. You you want to get Ashley to sing it? Yes, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Oh, we fucked that up. Also, I would I tried to save my own ass, and I reached out to Randy to edit in the right song at the end. But I think you had already burned him out by editing out Ashley. Correct. So he just stopped answering, and yep. I don't think he did it. <laughs> and then sent us in a segment, uh, because he's in Boise this week. So he just sent us in a 10-minute clip, which we will... Uh, <laughs> Uh, plug in here uh, post as Randy talks about two films. Yeah, so all our apologies may have led to uh, Randy offing himself and him sending in a suicide audio clip. Anyway, from uh, Tom Brennan and everybody at the Overlook Hour. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. 
Yeah, we love you, Lauren. That's a good clip in a very unfortunate circumstances <laughs> for Mr. Tom Brennan and his uh, choice of words off mic. All right, uh, Russell. So I know it's tough for you to recreate this magic because I you bet you had been holding I it in. Fucked it up. Um, so we'll just say so. Uh, as we said, Russell, <laughs> I love you, but the Cobra stuff. I hope that this would maybe we can sort of wean off the Cobra because I, Russell, you're not you're at the top of the mountain. Again, you're talking about the Cobra clip of the week. The Cobra clip of the week. Uh, and you're about to give our listeners um, uh, a heads up as to your involvement with one uh, Josh uh, Saunders. You got his name? I know. I have to separate oh my myself. God. Russell, he's so toxic. It makes me so sad. Well, walking in his apartment might be bad for everybody's health, too. He might be literally toxic. It's, uh, Oksana, you, you've got... What, what is your... I really want to know what your viewpoint is on this because every... To every day, Russell watches something from Cobra. Every single day. Mm-hmm. And you are a part of this. <laughs> so I'm putting some responsibilities on your shoulders. Is that I think we need to start weaning you off. Because I think it's making you more toxic. More negative. No. You know, I had this whole scree. I was going to talk about tapping on the glass of a low-cow community. I was going to talk about the difference between... Um, the film review show we do and how most podcasts ignore the YouTube direct cinema that is you, streamers. And uh, I, don't sure. know, I, don't, I don't have it in me anymore. I, I, ap- I appreciate that aspect of it. But when you, you, you're flying too close to the sun, brother. Well, Icarus, I, you know, you're melting. I, it's not like I booked him on the show or anything. Right. Uh, You've tried. I've got, no, I didn't. Did I? No, I tried to book. Second degree. I tried to book the Errol Morris-esque. Again, very generous. Mountain Wizards team that, uh, yeah, made the, well, what the fuck was it called? Uh, King Cobra. That's a party. Yeah. Which is still up on YouTube if you want to watch it. You know what I should? Uh, I think they've cut it four different times. Twice. (laughs) Um, hold on, I'm making a note because I'm going to throw that up in the show notes too. I mean, you can't hate on Cobra. He's toxic. He's trying to fix the world's gender relations. He's making ones. You know, get me a King Cobra one and some tactical soap, and I'll call it a day. You know, you can, you can do that. You can absolutely <laughs> do both of those things. Now they sell out too quick. Not the tactical soap. Oh no, no, that's available. That right. actually, you know, Zach, the one who. We should blame everything on him. It is Zach's fault. Yeah. But Zach gave us a little Marine, so. Yeah, so we forgive him. And Frankie's pals. Also, I don't know if Zach wants me talking about it, but he just cut a uh, documentary out of another lol cow. Oh. And he told me when it's when it's done, done, he's going to send it to me. Oh, boy. And like you mentioned in the audio I lost, or never recorded, they don't end well. They don't. Chris Chan, he's one. 4chan? Doesn't end well. It's an unfortunate connection. Also, last time I had a good segue into uh, working in this clip I never got to play, so I'm just going to do it now. Okay. If I had my uncle's knowledge of cars, do you think I'd be selling wands? (laughs) I can't. You know, every time I watch one of his videos, it's like, God, that's a great audio drop. Every fucking time. He just says shit. He's, He's a fucking Wyoming philosopher, dude. Anyway. I'm convinced he's killed so many brain cells by spray painting <laughs> wands in his unventilated little rat oh, nest you don't apartment. Think, you don't think he gets a little drag of that? Takes a little huff. Not a, not on purpose. No. Oh, on I think purpose. he's above that. 
He is in his own head. It. Well, there was that one time when his account got hacked and all those videos of him smoking weed. He's five foot two. He's not above anything. Got up. The, is he five foot two? Look it up. You're breaking my illusion. Anyway, look, look it up on his Wikipedia. Again, page. what Clark calls the uh, the end of the Cobra clip of the week, which I had been working on hiding from you because I wanted your authentic first reaction. And on you him. got it, but we just didn't but record. It. I didn't record. I'm God. I'm never going to let that go. It's fine. You were doing your Nilo impression. You so I wasn't commenting. You know, I didn't go in the <laughs> chats anymore. I realized I don't want to tap on the glass, but I did also discover a love for Reddit. So. I put up that old video I made when we... I keep saying video. It's just a Photoshop job of the cover of the Barge People. Now, when we had Charlie Steed on, Oksana, w- way before we even talked to him, was just like, that looks like fucking Cobra. It fucking came up on another show that we do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said it passingly, and then like it fell out of my brain forever, but you remembered it. So one day, I just... I need to produce, otherwise I get depressed, and I, you know, just cut Cobra in there. And I threw it up on Reddit. I think it's sitting at like 90 upvotes, which I think is pretty good there. You know, there's a few comments. People were making jokes. What I did is I just took the Barge People cover and made my cover and put it right next to each other. And, um... Uh, yeah, that leads us into this clip... <laughs> the barge people. <laughs> now, did you all hear that? Did you hear what he said there? The barge people. That made me so happy. I had my I could die now moment because Bite Size Cobra cut down one of his four hour live streams where he's doing, um, he's got uh, live streams going, or I'm um, not live stream, Streamlabs. And there's a, a text-to-chat option. So when people donate, you know, all the trolls just say fucked up things and the, the computer voice will say it out loud. And he just gets mad. Somebody convinced him that a girl he was in love with has nudes on Reddit. So, of course, he said, no, you're a fucking troll. You're lying. But then he just went on Reddit and started looking for him right away. <laughs> so uh, a favorite of the Bite Size community is when Bite Size cuts those down and when Cobra reacts to a picture on Reddit, he'll put it in the video. So if you go to Poot Gang and the King Cobra JFS subreddit, you'll see on the thumbnail my barge people art. And I don't know, I was just so happy that this weird community out there who there are a lot of people who are, you know, make music, cannabis corpse. Like, they're fans of Cobra. There's a lot of record distribution people, deathbed tapes. They're fans of Cobra. And I heard Epstein a- watched a couple videos. <laughs> <laughs> working in, working in the barge people just made me so happy to represent, like, some indie horror. So, get ready for me to try and shoehorn this in forever from now. The barge people. Also, the laugh. It was authentic. It's a genuine laugh. As, we, as we've said before on this show, we... We know when Cobra's uh, doing his little. Uh, I I I know what you're on to. Troll laugh. Yeah, the <laughs> like yeah. It's he totally falls out of his chair. It's very performative. Yes. Yeah, I think it was authentic. It warmed my heart. I can now die. Except now I really want to die because I ruined your first reaction, <laughs> and you were so bored you went on your phone this time. I'm crushed. I'm sorry. It's just you know I don't want to recreate <laughs> things. We're not actors, man. We're in it for the real. Come on, deal. are you at least proud? I am very proud of you. I'm very not proud. me. It's the show. I'm proud of you, which is the show. Okay. Now, no more Cobra Clips of the Week. Come on. What if I'm really concise and quick? No. All right. Well, half the soundboard is Cobra, so (laughs) I guess they'll have to do. Okay. And you can't substitute with Cool Taste. How'd you know? 
please. By the way, they're feuding. If you're not up on either of that, check God, it out. I don't. What did I do? I did reach out in to my cool life taste. for me to occupy the space that I'm occupying. So, uh, I think did we talk about that last week? What Mm-mm. we had a mini production meeting, and I was like, I pitched to you the idea because we don't promote our show, and the problem with the podcast that's personality based when nobody knows you, why the fuck would they ever check it out? <laughs> so I was like, well, if we're not gonna promote in the fucking terrible like Instagram style or Facebook style. Maybe we should just sponsor Cool Taste and have him do film reviews of guests that we have. And and you were you were receptive. You were interested at least. So I I took the initiative, I reached out to Cool Taste and said, "Hey man, uh, would you be interested in watching like some horror movies? I'd sponsor a video." And he said, "I can't see movies." <laughs> and uh, later on that day he did a live stream. So he said, "What movies are you watching currently?" He said, "One of my eyes is blind." That's his left eye, which is dead. His, his Lisa Lopez. Which is compl- looks like a zombie eye. And his right eye, he says, I get about three feet of distance here. So he said, I don't watch movies. Three feet? Three feet. That's why he didn't know that was not his mom. <laughs> That's- Call back to another thing. Do I have that clip still? No, I think I got rid of it. Why'd you get rid of that one? I don't know. I, th- I thought it was, was too hard one. to set up. But you kept Monkey Mary? I do. Yeah, I do have... Which, with no context, people are just like, "What?" It, it's not it doesn't even sound like words. It doesn't. All right. Um, okay, you got one more. Oh, we got a couple more things here. This so, one's you. So this one. So Russell, to your credit, you do a lot of R and D for this show. What does that you, mean? Uh, research and development. Okay. <laughs> you you listen to a lot of horror podcasts, at least just to see what other people are doing. Just sort of understanding our, our community better and how we can uh, better ingratiate ourselves in that community and sort of, you know, catch up or uh, see where we stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, just sort of give you an overall view of what's going on with our independent podcasting uh, climate that we occupy. Uh, something that I will never do. So uh, sometimes you do come up with uh, little little treasure gems um, that uh, we would not be privy to. And I, I'm very excited this week because uh, I told you that like, we have to play this on the show. And I want to be very clear here. Um, uh, Russell and myself, uh, we are not in the business of punching down. And I don't want it to come across as that we are punching down on this show. Um, a very genuine moment happened <laughs> at the beginning of this episode, which uh, Russ can provide a little bit more context uh, once we hear the clip. Um, it is just a, such a bizarre uh, opening that happens. I, rarely have I listened to a podcast where a person says something that was nice, and then another person <laughs> cried. No, no, so, the thing is, I don't listen to a lot of horror ones, but I try. I just want to you know, keep it fresh, and there's a lot of weird shit out there. But what you're going to hear is you're going to hear a network ad, because they're a part of a network. It's going to go in the intro, and then it's going to go into the beginning of the podcast. The audio levels are a little wonky. It's on their end. I tried to clean it up. If you want me to stop it at any part, Clark, let me know. Yeah, um, but I wanted I, I wanted to get the uh, this whole clip in uh, because I, I thought that the uh, juxtaposition <laughs> of the theme song uh, which we listened to uh, with uh, the voice of our host uh, was a nice combination. Are right, you want? We want to go? go? Yes. All right, here we go. 
This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. I should mention it's called Hillbilly Horror Podcast. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries, eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. All right, here we go. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Pauly. ICP all over it. Hey guys, welcome to episode 221 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. Tracy? Yes, honey. I want to say a big thank you to you for being my wife. What'd you do that for? (laughs) What? (laughs) What did I make you start crying for? I don't know. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I didn't know I was going to upset you. Thank you for being my hubby, honey. <laughs> so, what I want to know... <laughs> is that ever going to happen between you two? Is that going to happen today? I, I, You just talked about not punching down, and I don't want it to come across that way, but it, it felt like somebody was emotionally unstable there. Am I, I wrong? Oksana, from your perspective, diagnose what we just listened to. I feel like I can relate. <laughs> what, being an emotional go. wreck? Yeah. Are you, are you tearing up now? <laughs> no. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with everybody here? Russ, tell her you love her. See what happens. I tell her I love her all the time. No. And, now We've I <laughs> definitely ended fights where we make up and then I start crying more. <laughs> yeah, no, well, here's the thing. I come, I come from a family. Oh, I throw around oh, that L word. Congratulations! I throw around that L word a lot. You do. You you hear it on the show all the time. Yeah, I've caught ga- guests off guard with it. You've made people uncomfortable, and uh, oh, all the no, time. No one more uncomfortable than Randy Michael Stat. Continue. So I I you know if uh, love is the weapon I fill my sack with and hit people, love is all you need. I, you know I beat her with it the most. I'm not happy with that. But she, the thing is, that wasn't a word that's common in your family. Um, well, she's Eastern Bloc. Well, I remember I was like, why don't you fucking tell your parents you love them? Yeah, you don't it's tell your parents we- you love them? So it's a also, weird... Also, you're clearly tearing up. Don't put... If you call attention to this, <laughs> you want a fucking Tracy part two? Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I call him out when he starts tearing up, and which he's done it multiple times. Why do you think I wear here. sunglasses now? Because <laughs> oh, you're constantly... Just wait till you hear Randy's suicide God. Note. Oh, I... We'll talk about it. <laughs> I've told Russell, I feel like if we were ever to like have a uh, like a wedding wedding with people and we had to read vows, I wouldn't be able to because I would just start crying. <laughs> and I'd be embarrassed and we'd break up right there. Y'all wouldn't write your own vows? No, we would, but I was saying I, I probably wouldn't be able to read mine without... She can't even... <sighs> and she's not drinking this time. I should go ahead and... Yeah, where's your giant thermos of wine? Water. Is that water? It's water. Okay. I don't put wine in that one. Anyway, hillbilly horror stories. So what I did was I went in the Stitcher, which is my favorite podcatcher, and I just threw in horror. And I'm like, okay, what are the top choices? Like, what do they give me? That was number two. 
And I went, okay, hillbilly horror stories. I thought it was going to be real stories people tell, and then, you know, they just, you know, narrate them or something. Kind of like our two-sentence horror story people send them in. And I think that's what the show is. But I, when she started crying, I just, it, one, it's a genuine moment. Yeah. And it's pretty touching. I love it. It is the last thing I expected after, like, Blaze Your Dead Homies. <laughs> yeah, it's so dude, good. It's so dude, good. Dude, it's like, welcome to the hillbilly. And then it's like, hey, honey, I love you. <laughs> and she's like, why'd you do? I'm like, <laughs> it's so good. Dude. It's so good. And, yeah, I don't know. So, long story short, listen to more podcasts. Look at, look at, the, look at this. Also, don't feel bad for them. I, I did a little, I'm like, how many people listen to this show? Because it sounds like unfiltered, raw, like, podcast from somewhere. They got 11,000 followers. Well, they got Shaggy 2 Dope to do the <laughs> theme song. So well, they, they also clearly got, that, got some connection. That network is probably killing it, too. Pod Billy? Yeah. That sounds very good. We should try and get on there. You got a lot of fans. <laughs> All right. So we got, could bring three to the You got the party. one more segment here. Uh, would you have... Um, oh, okay, yeah. So... I came in, so okay. I have I have a little spreadsheet and I leave it open. And it's just the itinerary, so Clark isn't blindsided by clips I'm showing. And uh, I, I I try not to reveal everything to you because I you know the genuine reaction which I ruined earlier in this episode. Um, and I had this one just titled as politics with three exclamation which marks, which is a banned subject. And uh, yeah, and you're like, oh. like you you kept sighing, and I'm like, dude, what's going on? And clearly, it was because Oksana was going to sit in today. He was uncomfortable with it. Hates women. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh, y'all are stupid. <laughs> and I was like, what, what's going on? I'm like, dude, you want me to tell Oksana she can't do this? And he was like, why, why are you talking about politics? And I'm like, oh, dude, it's not really politics. Anyway, there's a uh, not viral enough audio clip going around that I just had to play. Um, the now former Anchorage, Alaska TV news personality, Maria Athens, uh, she was in a relationship with the now former mayor, uh, of Ethan Berkowitz of Alaska and they had a breakup. I heard it was in a car and it was the kind of thing where it's like, I stopped driving and say, get out. (laughs) And, um, she followed up with, uh, a voicemail that was a little heated. Now, I'm... You haven't heard this, right? No. Now, here, here, let's go. It's a minute-long clip. You're going to like it. Here we go. Ethan, it's Maria Athens from Fox ABC, CW, NewsNet, National Alaska. Uh, I just learned from my uh, Emmy Award-winning journalism, you're also a pedophile in, like, little girls and children. And there's a website. I'm so fucking exposing you. I'm going to get an Emmy. So you either turn yourself in, kill yourself, or do what you need to do. I will personally kill you and Mark Kimmel, my goddamn self, you Jewish piece of living fucking shit. You have met your match, motherfucker. You have met your motherfucking match. I can't believe I am such a good person and thought I loved you. I fucking hate, I don't even hate you. I will pray for your Zionist fucking ass. You piece of shit loser. And I'm putting this on the news tonight. Bye. Have a great Friday, you motherfucker. <laughs> I don't do you realize the genius of what you've done here? What do you mean? The yin and the yang of relationships. We oh. play a very sweet 
a very sweet <laughs> couple from the South who make each other cry yeah. by telling them how much they love each other. And then this, we get the opposite <laughs> side where we go to Alaska. Well, so hearing that, I had no idea what she looked like because I heard this on the uh, censored version of this on the radio uh, show that we heard. Don't it. be giving up my sources. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> what do you think she looks like? Because, well, I mean, she is a news personality. Well, Oksana, we don't judge women by the way they look. Clark has claimed to be able to spot crazy eyes. Oh, she got crazy eyes. Yeah. Well, she's a news anchorette who, you know, she's pretty... Anchorette? <laughs> I'm just trying to gender all my words now. <laughs> she's a news anchor. She's pretty. She clearly has eyes that will stab through you, though. Yeah. <laughs> now, but how beautiful was that voice message? I mean, in this in this fun climate of politics, we just need more of that. We need more of people signing off with, uh, Have a great Friday, you motherfucker. <laughs> That's Dude, very good. Hell hath no fury. Is that is that a new clip? Uh, it will be. I mean, it would work better if we, you know, came out on Friday. Oh, no, we come out on Thursday. We come out on Thursday. Yeah, oh, dude, I could listen to that voicemail all day. She takes it. She humble brags in there. She says, I can't believe I'm such a good person that I would have ever loved you. She calls him a pedophile. That's one of our favorite things on here. Oh, no. She takes a she takes a Jew turn. She starts. She becomes anti-Semitic. She calls him a Zionist bastard. Dude, it is beautiful. Um, I'm not sure. I, I know they both uh, aren't working for their respective things anymore. I don't know, but... There's not enough sharing of that video. It's wild. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And, you know, I'm tempted to play it again, but I won't. Well, let's go from uh, one voicemail to another voicemail uh, with Randy Michaelstadt uh, calling in um, to let us know what he's seen this week. Because, again, Randy's in Boise, Idaho. He very easily could have uh, carved 10 minutes in his time of five days of being in Idaho, to call in with his friends and talk about the movies that he's seen. But no, because Randy's the person that he is, he just sends us a voicemail. Hey, maybe this will work for the show. Bye. I'm in Boise. Yeah. I still, you know, we haven't vetted it, and I, I really think it could be his final words that we're about to hear. Uh, so let's throw it to Randy as he talks about, uh, I don't know, some uh, highbrow bougie bullshit. New segment, Randy's final words. Yes, this is Engineer Randy, and I'm actually re-recording um, what I have to say right now as it is Wednesday morning. I just got back from Boise, and I wanted to address a couple of things. First of all, uh, these are not my final words, uh, unless there's something that I do not know about. Um, I will not be taking my life early. Um and yeah, hopefully, you know, there's no freak accidents or anything that, that caused that to happen. Also want to say that I'm on Clark's side for uh, hashtag no more Cobra clips. Um, I think that um, that would be a, a great, great way for the show to go is no more Cobra. In addition to that, um, I just wanted to mention that I saw the movie called The Sound of Metal, uh, directed by Darius Martyr, featuring Riz Ahmed and Olivia Cook. Uh, this movie is about uh, Riz Ahmed's character, uh, whose name is Ruben, and he is a drummer in a metal band, and he's on tour with his girlfriend slash bandmate, 
Olivia Cook. And uh, one day on tour, I believe they're in uh, somewhere in the Northeast, um, he starts to lose his hearing. And being a musician and all, uh, you know, a lot of his identity um, is tied into playing music and to into hearing. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it very much hits home. I do have a little bit of tinnitus myself, not quite hearing loss, but um, I get the random ringing in my ears just spontaneously kind of throughout the day sometimes. I thought this movie was fantastic. Uh, Riz Ahmed, this is probably the best thing that I've seen him do. Um, big fan of him. I liked him in Nightcrawler as well. Um, Olivia Cook is pretty good too, but this is really Riz Ahmed's movie. Um, just dealing with hearing loss and dealing with sobriety and dealing with this community of deaf people that um, he ends up hooking up with um, in order to sort of recover and sort of kind of learn how to be uh, a deaf person. I believe this is also playing at AFI Fest, which is virtual right now. So, uh, yeah, I would highly recommend it. Another movie I watched uh, last week for Mill Valley Film Festival is a movie called Shit House, which is actually now uh, playing in theaters if theaters are open near you, and it's also on video on demand. Uh, and this is sort of a link laddery uh, before trilogy type of movie. Uh, directed by Cooper Rafe. Uh, I think he was like 22 when he made this. Um, it's really solid directorial debut, uh, and it stars him as well. So he wrote, directed, and stars in it. And uh, his co-star is Dylan Kalula, who plays Maggie. And um, yeah, this movie is a college movie. It takes place in LA. Um, the two main characters uh, meet one night sort of after a party at a frat house. Uh, which is called Shit House, which is where the title comes from. And um, they have sort of an awkward, sort of uncomfortable, uh, unsuccessful tryst in uh, her room. She is actually the RA of the dorm that he lives in. Uh, and after that, uh, he, you know, is sort of uncomfortable. So he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna going to go back. And she's like, oh, you don't have to leave. I have this this bottle of wine, we should just like hang out because I don't want to drink by myself. That sounds kind of depressing. Um, so yeah, they have sort of a, uh, a vulnerable conversation and end up going sort of on a journey through town in LA. Uh, they take the bottle of wine with them. Uh, and they're just for the first half of this movie is kind of, you know, the meet cute um, and them just kind of walking through town uh, in LA and drinking. And yeah, I mentioned Hopper Wells, which I saw for New York Film Festival, uh, which is very my dinner with Andre, you know, just two, two people uh, in a room talking. And uh, yeah, sometimes I'm very, very into movies like that, that uh, are written well and just have two characters uh, talking and just getting to know each other. So I really loved the first half of this movie. Uh, the second half is pretty good as well. The writing uh, is really solid, but um, it's a little more plot-driven and um, a little more cliche, but overall, uh, I really dug it. Um, I think it's like a $6.99 rental on iTunes right now. So uh, yeah, if you like uh, you know, the Before Trilogy, if you like sort of rom-coms um, that are actually pretty smart and well-written, I would give Shit House a chance. 
Also, you know, Clark Russell, you guys are right. I probably could have scheduled a time to, uh, you know, converse over the phone with you guys. But uh, as the engineer of the podcast, I wanted it to sound pretty good. And I have my my setup at home. And, you know, I could have uh, given you guys a time, you know, say 11 a.m. And maybe, you know, you're not ready till 11.15 or something. But anyways, that's none of my business. So uh, I'll, uh, I'll talk to you guys later. So thank you for that, Randy. Um, as he talked about the Mill Valley Film Festival, um, uh, the Mill Valley Film Festival, which uh, our friend uh, who we haven't spoken to in many months is a part of. So thanks for the heads up on that, Birdman. We, I've spoken to him like last week. Okay, that's your job. No, that's her job now. No, it's still right. your Was job. Was he on the list of, of people to book? Because no, because she's <laughs> the booker. Oh, you know what? You maintain relationships. So every day... I I'm the final level. You understand? I'm the boss. Oh, I'm God. the boss. Every every time we record, I have to come in here and clean up Clark's uh, Monday through Friday shenanigans. That's and I set everything up. Today, when I came in here, the fucking book that he let you borrow... Where is it? I saw it was on the ground. Yeah, the skeleton takes a bow? Yeah. It was like a poltergeist threw it. What the fuck's going on in here? Did it fall? Yeah. Okay. Um, so something happened yesterday. Uh-oh. And that may have caused it, which is odd because there are four figurines yeah, that were surrounding Yeah, if they would have fell, I would have been the, very mad. I know. No, so I I'm surprised that they did not fall if what I think made the book fall. What did you do? Which, it's very odd if that's the only thing. So, <laughs> yesterday, and I'm only telling you this in full confidence, because I, I, I have no secrets. I have no secrets. I'm looking around for, like, cracks in the foundation now. What? Yesterday, uh, right before I was taking a shower. Uh-oh. <laughs> this is 100% genuine, by the way, and I wasn't going to tell you this. Genuine. But I think that I, I the, verber- the reverberations that happened on the wall may have caused that to fall down. I was working... On my tennis serve oh for no my reason. God. In the bathroom. And when Were I you went, naked? I was naked. <laughs> and when I went back to go on the, the going down, I hit the one poster that I have on the wall in my bathroom and it flew off and smashed on the ground. Oh. And I hit the wall pretty hard. And I that may have caused the I don't book think to it fall. did, but you do that shit all the time. And it stresses me out. As a hoarder and a collector, you're like throwing a football through the hallway or kicking yeah. a ball around. I've gotten better with the balls. Yeah, what the fuck are you doing tennis swinging naked in the bathroom? I was working on my form. As All a right. reminder, I haven't played tennis in 20 years. I can't imagine you ever playing tennis. I hate tennis. You're just on a Tom Segura hype? You're just, like trying to get it going? just wanted to work on my form. All right. Thank you for that. All right. So, uh, you want to talk about what I've seen? Uh, yeah. yeah is, this time, is that time of the show? That feels weird without Randy here. R.I.P. Randy. All right. So, I want to talk about the home box office. Uh, Oxana, that is HBO. I just want to keep up this mansplaining <laughs> thing that we set the precedent for. Um, HBO documentaries is honestly they're fantastic um i think that hbo documentaries is is outside of their um series is honestly it's a very um they they have good product (laughs) okay 
you know, Aaron Lee Carr um, is is one of the the regulars there. Um, it's HBO documentaries and what they've what they've been able to build and accomplish uh, with their documentary program is something to behold. Uh, the documentary which I'm about to talk to you now, I don't think should be included um, as a part of uh, that um, realm of of journalistic trustworthy uh incisive looks into um very unique american situations and characters uh craig carton is a very well-known radio host in new york city who um if you are familiar with the new york uh, sports radio scene, then you absolutely know who Craig Carton is, as he was co-host with Boomer Esiason, uh, former quarterback of the National Football League. Uh, for 10 years, I believe, they ran the uh, the um, uh, Boomer and Carton show. And, <laughs> cool name. Uh, they, they took the prime uh, morning drive time slot uh, from Don Imus after he said nappy-headed hoes. I know that name. Yeah. And is then, that why? Yes. Because he got fired, and then they got his slot. Uh, but That's that, what we need. Look, Fangoria fell apart, and I was waiting for the call, and we never got it. That's right. Well, don't worry. Uh, Alamo's slowly uh, deteriorating. Alamo ain't going to... Oh, wait. So we're going to open a theater? That's right. We'll figure it out. Okay. <laughs> um, so what happened with Craig Carton is that he is um, a gambling addict. He's and, missing. And we learn... This on the show is he was always very open about him uh, liking gambling and being very talented at blackjack. What devolved into this is that Craig Carton made a bet with Boomer Esiason that he could take $10,000 from Boomer and turn it into $25,000. Mm-hmm. So they did a live remote radio special at the Borgata oh, that's in, a good show. in Atlantic City. Uh, th- they get there that morning. Craig had gambled that night previously, so it was the payoff. Uh, the show was going to open with him paying off the uh, that turning the, the ten and the twenty five. He came in with a sack of money worth eighty thousand dollars. Oh shit! So he turned his ten thousand into eighty thousand, and that was both the best and the worst thing that ever happened to him in that radio show. Why? As because at that juncture, Craig Carton got so many requests from people wanting to invest into him, give him X amount of dollars so he could turn that into profit. And because he's a gambling addict, he took those requests. Holy shit. So over the course of this documentary and over the course of his gambling exploits, Craig Carton was uh, reportedly took in around $30 million from random investors and then turned that into profit for them. What was the minimum buy-in? It depended on the situation. So it was... The price was right, a dollar. Totally all, worth it. It's all I got. <laughs> um, <laughs> where the documentary fails is that Craig Carton does the voiceover. Oh. And sort of narrates this. That doesn't seem like a neutral view. Uh, from prison. <laughs> That's and great. It's, it's highly dramatic in, in there as he talks about... Uh, doing baseball games in the prison yard and blah, 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 wait, blah. Wait, hold on. How he used to be friends with Chris Christie. And now, oh, there was one thing where he was talking about being in prison. He was like, I met a guy in the cafeteria today who said he used to be involved in the mafia. 
Then another guy who was in the mafia made calls to see if this guy was in the mafia. He was not. So now he's got a nickname. And I forgot the nickname, but it was kind of cool. Wait, I want to go back. So on the show, they made the bet. Yes. And then he went and gambled, and the next day he just brought the money. Mm-hmm. Man, they should have just done the show where he's gambling. I feel I, like that'd be a good live stream. Yeah, well, it's it's live radio. So, and that their spot, I think, was 6 to 10 in the morning, East oh, Coast time. I'm sure he's up gambling and at it, that time. Oh, yeah. so here's the thing. He would fly. He would leave work um, in the morning, take a helicopter to Atlantic City, stay till he would give his time of, uh, I think, was uh, 3 o'clock or 3.30 to get back on the helicopter to go straight into New York oh, City and shit. do radio again. Um, now, Craig Carton got busted on federal charges uh, for a ticket scam that he got involved in. And this is the, this is really the, my biggest problem with the documentary is because it is all from, it's mostly from the view of Craig Carton. We don't see his wife or hear from his wife at all all in this documentary no. and that is a failed opportunity there he mentions her a lot we don't see her at all we don't hear about her they don't say anything about her i'm yeah. wondering why yeah, elephant in the room the, the, the thing with hbo is that uh, we talk about documentaries and, and what's the strength of the documentary and sometimes access is absolutely a strength to a documentary yeah, yeah. and that's something that hbo can get access HBO can, they have the power to do what they want to do. But for whatever reason, this was a safe documentary about Craig Carton, who, let's be honest, he's, he's got a gambling problem, but what he did, he was a scumbag. He took money from people. He misappropriated funds to help cover all his gambling debts. What he did was a shitty thing to do, and it was ironed over as basically saying, eh, he's just a bad businessman. No, he did a shitty thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, I, I am all about rehabilitation. I believe in it. I believe that this, I, I call me whatever you want to for that. But I think that prison can be a form, a solid form of rehabilitation. So what did he go to prison for? For the misappropriation of, of funds. You can't take money for one business and then use that for another. Oh, okay. But that ticket organization was a, essentially a Ponzi scheme, and they really didn't go into that. So basically, he was selling tickets for events that didn't happen. Oh. Yeah. So the whole thing, business was a scam. Oh, I thought it was a gambling-related thing. No. So he had all these gambling debts. So he oh, was, okay. he was okay. always cooking up other side businesses. He would always talk about, oh, I just started a cologne company. He's, uh, always, he's a hustler in that way. And he was always, he talked about it, you know, he made his first bet when he was eight years old or whatever. So in the documentary, do they have any cameras on him in jail? Like, do they show him at a lunchroom table they show, gambling it's tater a, tots? They show a shadowy figure in a shadowy jail cell writing shadowing things in a shadowy notebook. For what? Dramatization. Of so, him being, of, uh, basically, he did, he, he had, he at least journaled or for the purposes of this documentary made a journal about being in jail and then they would cut to a shadowy figure writing shadowy things in a shadowy notebook about like i said with the mafia thing but you never get to see him in like an orange jumpsuit or oh Oh, uh walking around the yard some but um what was the vibe you got did people like him hey it's a he's a very popular uh sports radio figure he was never my guy yeah 
Um, I um, even you know I've I've never even been to New York, but I'm a big sports radio fan, and I know a lot about the history of sports radio. And WFAN invented sports radio. Uh, you know, Don Imus is absolutely part of due to that. Also with uh, Mike and the Mad Dog, which is another documentary done by uh, ESPN, which I've talked about on this very show a couple of years ago. Um, and those guys invented sports radio. Uh, Francisca and, and, and Mike and um, yeah, I don't know Imus. So I only know WNUF Sports Talk. Thank you so much. Uh, this I, this was just a failed opportunity and was just very safe. I don't know. It sounds quirky, glossy. It sounds like they got a gimmick. Um, sounds like the wife didn't want to be a part of it. Yeah, the, but we. I would like to have some sort of knowledge as to her perspective on all of this. Um, I, I think you got it. <laughs> she wants no part ish, of it. But I, I think they're still together. But um, it, it's just, I wanted more. I wanted more. Um, it's just an uninteresting look at an interesting subject. They put it on the cover. I put that on my letterbox. Okay. Oh, did you? Along with a two-star rating. Are you committed to it? Yeah, I'm back in. All right. Yep. So that was, uh, that was the main thing I wanted to talk about. It's a hell of a title, Wild Car, The Downfall of a Radio Loudmouth. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the name kind of leads you into, we're going to beat up on this guy, and then it's his show. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You convinced me not to watch it. And Boomer's boring. Anyway. All right. So, uh, we're gonna, you guys going to talk about... Kevin? Uh, Randy. Uh, R.I.P. Nightstream, the closing... Uh, Couple films that oh well is, wasn't this a part of Night Stream? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Y'all got anything else? Uh oh, I see. So you want to do the the collective at the end? I could re. Oh, uh, well, we can. I just don't know. I just don't know what we want to do because uh, I mean, Oksana, if you've seen a movie that Russell has not seen, yeah, I can't even remember what we watched. I had to. I spent time in, in the interview. Um, Jen talks about it. It's like. The fuck did I watch? <laughs> and I know normally today's our big day to watch shit. Uh, we record on a Sunday. The episode goes up on a Thursday. That's how all of our news is always so timely. <laughs> and after this, we'll probably go down and do a fair amount of watching. But then by next week, I'm like, I haven't seen anything. Forget it. Yeah. So at Nightstream, um, we ended with a bunch of movies. Uh, the two that you didn't watch was uh, Mandibles. How do you say the director's name? Uh, Quentin Depew. I loved it. Um, Oksana, do you remember what you called it? Uh, A French surrealist, Dumb and Dumber. Oh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I compared them to Dumb and Dumber. I think Madeline added the surrealist part. Yeah, um, nailed it. That's exactly what this movie is. I've never seen Rubber. I didn't watch um, do Dear Force. You haven't seen any no. of Quentin Depew. And um, my takeaway from uh, Mandibles is that's what I wanted the beach bum to be. And I, I loved Mandibles. I thought it was great. Now, Mandibles, I was very much looking forward to watching this, yeah. as I'm a big fan of Quentin Depew, and I wanted to see this movie. Dear listeners, let me explain this to you. <laughs> I am a very limited man with a limited set of patience. And even though I, I just have this thing in my spirit, in my body, where I can only take so much... Of anything. And these are even things that I enjoy. Which is a strange thing to say, as I am a person who has gained at least 40 pounds during this quarantine. <laughs> so I wish that food would be a part of this. But don't worry, I'm turning a new leaf. We're going to be fine. 
Mandibles, we, we had watched another movie prior to this. We were going to close out. Did we? What was it? Uh, Boys from County Hill. Which oh, we'll okay, talk about okay. Them. Uh, but by the time Mandibles was there, it was it was still only 7 o'clock on a Sunday. But at that time, I had not had any of my Madden football <clears throat> time. I needed time to wind down. I just need me time, Russell. And my me time was taken away. That's how, it. How much weight did you gain? How much so, weight did a little gain? So many. How many? How many pounds? You said 40, but It's real. hard to say. I would say, I think I've gained at least 25 to 30 pounds. Hmm. The small grower like me. You're a little grower. Thank you, cold taste. <laughs> I had to get him in there. Also, dude, I think over the, oh, it's Sunday, I think over the weekend, I kind of stumbled on my fasting thing. Yeah. Like, I uh, ate an edible that was too strong, and... Um, yeah, we ordered donuts at midnight. Yeah, we DoorDash donuts oh, at like eleven thirty p.m. What a fucking depressing thing to do! <laughs> I took I took thirty milligrams yesterday. You, I mean, but you didn't order donuts at midnight. That that's because he's he's stocked with snacks. I you ahead. really are, but you you know I'm a snack man. Me and you as an eater, it's different. I have to finish. My mom, you know, burned it into my brain that we're not wasting food. So I eat, oh man, there's times where it's like the last thing I want to do is eat that last thing. And after nobody at the table will, it's like, oh, I'm going to fucking eat it. I experiment a lot. I buy a lot of weird stuff that doesn't last, like the Baconator Pringles that are the worst thing I've ever had in and my And they're life. still down there. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I would have ate them. them. Uh, no. Throw them away. They taste like stomach acid. No, you know, we, we talked about having a bit where we uh, made the, like next time Jasadi breaks into the house. We just make him eat it. Although he had the best review. Jasadi had the most succinct review of the uh, the Wendy's Baconator Pringles. He said it smelled, it tastes like someone ate a Baconator and then breathed on you. <laughs> nailed it. That's he it. nailed 100%. it. It is fucking gross. Um, yeah, I totally detracted. What the fuck? Oh, mandibles. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, All right, well, then you guys need to, to get back on the back catalog of uh, Mr. Okay. DePew. I'm, again, Nightstream, none of these films are available, so I don't want to talk. Mandel's should be out soon. Again, I don't think we could pitch that film any better. It's Dumb and Dumber, French Surrealist. I loved it, and it's what I wanted from The Beach Bone. Okay. It's so much better than The Beach Bone. Okay. Oh, I, okay. you, I didn't want to... Which I... You bow your head when you mention the See, beach bump. We thoroughly put him, disenjoyed. The beach bump is perfect. If we team up on him, you're going to put him in a position where he needs to defend, and I don't need to talk about that movie. Beach bump is great. You both are wrong. It's just not what I wanted. That's fair. Yeah. That's great. It's, uh, Mandibles is better. Yeah. Uh, then we watched, after that, we watched a movie called Come True. Oh, yes. So, um, Robert Smith, Robbie. Our dear friend and not from uh, the cure. Uh, he might have been. I don't know. Avid listener of the show. He he texted me and said, "Oh man, I need you and Clark to watch Come True because I I need you guys to talk about it." So you want to talk about it, Clark? I haven't seen it. <laughs> I know off. you abandoned it. Anyway, I dude, didn't know you were watching this movie. I, well, you already left. Communi- it was the same night. Communication in this household. Nah. I've learned once you're atrocious. gone, leave you alone because it, it, nothing's going to happen. You know what? That's the wisest thing I've ever said. <laughs> Continue with that mindset. And it's a bummer much. because I'm not used to that. I'm used to pressuring I, people. Do you know how long it took me to train you that? Well, to just I, let me be? I don't think you trained me. I think I gave up, which I think is I'll worse. take that as a yeah. win. 
I'll take that as a win. It's a bummer. Um, come true. It's first time director Anthony Scott Burns. Uh, oh man, Madeline said that this is what she wanted from It Follows, and I wasn't quite sure what she meant by that. Uh, except visually, it feels a lot like It Follows, although narratively, it's really not. Um, we're dealing with a girl who um, she's having terrible dreams. Bad nightmares. Brother, I've been there. And I'll tell you, the thing that I love about this is when she goes to sleep. Now, to paint the picture, um, the frame of the film is uh, we have a young girl. We open up with her sneaking into what appears to be her own house when her mom's going to work. But I think she it starts with her waking up on a slide. Yeah. and A slide? Yeah, like a playground in a sleeping bag. So she's not staying at home. And she's kind of spying on her own house and she takes a shower and eats like toast and gets the fuck out of there. And she's kind of on the run. We don't know from what. And she goes to bed, um, you know, out in the wilderness, out in the playground is a beautiful shot in the film. And everything's very high def. It looks a lot like it follows like thoughtful framing, kind of like surreal suburbia. But when she goes to sleep, the dreams are this like Kubrick point of view we're, we're on a track moving down a hallway, mm-hmm. except we're not in a building. We're in kind of a nightmare dreamscape, and there are pillars coming from the ceiling. There's no ground. We're adrift in what looks like a video game, except it looks real. Okay. And uh, we just move slowly on a track, kind of like, I can't think of any better way to put it than like Kubrick going around in The Shining. And it it just looks so fucking cool. Yeah. And I'm watching it, I'm like, how do you film this? And Madeline's like, the director programmed it. It's all computer graphic. And I'm telling you, I couldn't tell. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? I'm like, this isn't like claymation or something. Like, it looks real. Just the way the light was hitting it. And the film is kind of, uh, it's we're following around this girl, and she goes in and out of sleep. And there's a narrative that I don't want to give away there. Thank you. And there's an ending. This is the thing. Here we go. So uh, in the interview, um, when we're talking to Jen, we talk about how Nightstream had that uh, Pokemon Game Boy look, the 8-bit chat element, where you walk around and the video pops up. Well, Madeline was introduced to the director of this film, and the first thing he said, so what did you think of the ending? And she was like, well, I'm in a room with people who haven't seen it. So I don't want to talk about it, but I definitely want to talk about it. And we're just about to watch it. And he said, okay, hit me up on Twitter after. And I went, oh, no. What could you do? And then, I don't know. What did did you get? When we're watching the film, it felt so precise. And the vision was so clear that when we started getting to the end, I'm like, what the fuck is going to happen? Is like Winnie the Pooh going to pop up? Or like, like nothing seemed out of bounds or inappropriate. And don't give it away, but were you, were you like um, ending thumb up or thumb down? I I wouldn't I would not say thumbs down on the ending. Um, it was just kind of like I didn't know what to do with it. It's weird. I don't think it discredits the rest of the movie because the rest of it is great and like all the cuts, all the dream sequences were amazing. I would watch it again. I feel like the end will just have you talking about the movie. For a very long time, because there's so many, I don't. It's very um, open ended, I guess. What kind of ending we got? We got a sleepaway so, camp no. ending over so here. So check out this girl, Julia Stone. 
She's the lead. Now look at that face. She's got like a little gummo thing going on. I'm not sure exactly. Oh, what? No, I'm just saying her facial features. Oh my god. She's Russell, got a film. Or she's Do got a face. Do not call someone <laughs> okay. that they have a gummo face. Well, I don't know what it is. It's the quality. It's something oh about now, I know you're projecting on it, and you're thinking, oh, Gummo, Ohio, that's where th- they bred the gross uncle. Clearly, these are terrible people. Grant, I love you. Um, what I mean is that she's got that kind of like innocent look, slightly androgynous. You don't really know what age she is. She looks like she's clearly younger than she, she actually is. She looks like she's ready for New York Fashion Week. Yeah, exactly. But she's also got a, a face that like camera will just like, she's a character, right? Yeah. The whole movie's her. And to get back to the ending, you know what I would compare it to? Now, this is misleading, so your first instinct is going to be wrong. But I would compare it to... Never is. I would compare it to Serenity. Oh, God. Yeah. And it's not what you're thinking. They're not in a video game. But it's that. Like, Serenity was such a, like, concise film. Like, at least you, you had an idea. So it's a pullback. It's kind of like a shock. That changes everything in a way that you might not be ready to handle. I'm not saying it's necessarily a. By, Is that fair? But That's but fair. but yeah, by fair. even saying that it's Serenity, with Serenity, it's the same thing, sort of like the Truman Show. Truman Show though feels like. So there's a thing that I learned in a, a one of the two film classes I ever took, where they talk about the reason you don't want to shamalon an audience. Is because surprised without any justification, it doesn't it doesn't reward the audience that's paying attention, and you don't want to just pull the carpet out from people. Like you'll get a reaction, but it it's the Hitchcock argument where you show the bomb under the table, and then you know you let the suspense build. In Serenity, if we would have known it was a video game, the audience could have been trying to apply uh, theory or methods as to why or where we're going with that instead of just. Boo, it's a video game. How you feel about that? The end. And then you're kind of <laughs> left like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. And your your initial reaction is kind of like, well, fuck you. Or, you know, if you're Madeline, this is the best movie I've ever yeah. seen. So, again, um, Come True kind of falls into two camps. And it's the people who love the movie and then see the ending and are like, oh, fuck off. And then there are people who love the movie and then are like, I'll forgive it. Well, I haven't seen the movie. I and I'd love to talk to the director. It's so pretty. And Madeline told me he's the type of dude who just refused to change it. Like I think um in my head I'm building a picture of people like, Hey, we love your film. Well, do you think we could like maybe alter a couple things and we could give you some money? And he's just like, No, this is the movie. No. And I'm like, dude, stick to your guns and fucking piss off the audience. You know, we love that. <laughs> yeah, so come true. I don't know, do you want to add anything to that? I mansplained it for you, I know. No. no. That's the theme of the show today. <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to close out with... Uh... I think well, let's do boys first. Oh, okay. Because we got another one. I wanted to close with Wolf. Yeah, yeah, let's close with that one. Okay. Uh, so the film that... Uh, the last film that I participated in uh, with Nightstream Night yeah. was Boys from County Hill. A crew of hardy road workers, led by a bickering father and son, must survive the night when they accidentally awaken an ancient Irish vampire. I was in on this movie because 
I felt like we were dealing with working class vampires. And I just think that that's, <laughs> that is an idea um, that attracts me because I think that, um, that I have an issue with vampires. I think that they think that they are above us humans and they're fancy with not, their little Victorian bullshit. You, I you, don't like vampires. You you misread county as country and got excited. And then we looked at it and you're like, vampires? Nope. <laughs> That's what happened. I repackaged it. <laughs> you're like, we already watched a, we watched a vampire movie already. <laughs> there was a lot of vampires and cannibals, frankly. Yeah. With with what was going on with Nightstream. And I, I, I did want to break from that. But uh, Boys from County Hell, I enjoyed this. I like... I like a specific dialect where that's where we're dealing with. I, I do appreciate that. And um, as uh, we're in Ireland here, and I think that we actually did try to uh, see, I think we were up two minutes into this, and Madeline uh, is like, uh, do, do we need to put up subtitles? I think we should put up yeah, subtitles. Yeah. I'm like, no, just let it go. And I missed her subtitles. I know. I, I am confused why you fought back against that. Let me explain something to you. It goes back to my commitment issues. You understand? I gotta mix it up. I gotta mix it up all the time. That's what life is, baby. I, don't, I still don't, don't understand. <laughs> I don't think that answer makes any sense. It makes all the sense. Just because I do something regularly, doesn't mean I, I don't want to crutch myself to that. <laughs> I punish myself regularly, Russell. You know this. Oh, yeah, I do know that. I do things that I don't want to do, and I don't do things that I do want to do. And this was one of them? You you yeah. didn't want to watch... He didn't want subtitles for their, at I just times, w- very thick accents. Yeah. If they didn't assume that we didn't need subtitles, then I wanted to go with that notion. I get it. I, uh, I, wanted, to, I wanted to view the film as the filmmakers intended. And a lot of times when you're dealing with specific dialects, they automatically put the subtitles in. Uh... I saw a political ad this week oh. where a black guy was talking about owning a barbershop and they put every single oh word that he said God. on there as a caption. <laughs> so take that for what you will. Also, but, the other vampire movie, uh, My Heart Can't Beat Unless You Tell It To, uh, shout out to the director who listened to our show and made everybody think, uh-oh, where we mean, and we weren't, and I stand by that, and we love you. We, I think we gave that a very honest review, and again, I... I enjoyed that movie. I think I enjoyed that more than than most people. But again, you know, look, you got the three and a half. That sweet ass truck got you at least a star and a half. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan, if you want to talk, reach out. We'll totally have you on. Talk about that truck. So the movie uh, that we saw earlier this week is a film um, that is done by Jim Cummins, writer-director, who has been on my radar for quite some time uh, because he directed a short uh, called Thunder Road, uh, which was very popular. And uh, I don't, did I make you guys watch it? I don't think I made you guys watch the short, did I? No. Okay. It's on Vimeo. I recommend, I think it is actually, I think it's not on YouTube. I think it's only on Vimeo, and the quality's pretty good. Um, and then he actually made a feature film off of that short, uh, Thunder Road, where he plays a police officer um, who has lost his mother, and he's having a hard time with it. Uh, in The Wolf of Snow Hollow, he plays a police officer um, who has uh, recently um, gotten divorced, and he's having a hard time with it. And there may or may not be a werewolf uh, running around killing people in this small skiing community in Utah. 
Um, I was very excited for this. Is um, I think Jim Cummings is a very unique talent. I sort of uh, would put him, and I'm, I'm trying to be very pointed in this comparison, but I I sort of think of him as like an Albert Brooks type, where it's a he's he is his character. And uh, it's all from his perspective. He's got he's got a point of view, and uh, we have certainly privy to that in both uh, Thunder Road and the uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow. And I just think that he's a very unique voice, um, comedically, um, I, I, very funny. I, I thought this whole thing was. Are you, Russell, are you very familiar with Albert Brooks? I have no idea. Okay, so Albert Brooks. I've seen Finding Nemo. So, Albert Brooks is actually a very influential comedian uh, to a lot of comedians and to me, frankly. And um, he he was a stand-up. His brother is actually um, Bob no. Einstein. Uh, you may know him as Marty Funkhauser mm. from Curb Your Enthusiasm, the Funk Oh, man. okay. Yeah, that's I do his, know. That's I do his know. actual brother. Yeah. So, Albert Brooks, his birth name, no, no joke, is Albert Einstein. His parents thought they were being real clever. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so, yes, they, they are brothers, and they I believe that... Um, How do you live up to that? Well, Russ, I, I've Fucking got some, call you Albert Einstein. I've got some sad news. I, I don't think that Marty and Albert were on the best of relationships when Marty passed away. No. Oh. For whatever reason. Uh, but anyway, I think Jim Cummings is great. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, Thunder Road, and I thoroughly enjoyed The Wolf of Snow Hollow as... Um, now this is not a traditional horror film, and I don't know what you two uh, knew what you were getting into uh, with this. And I, I know that it, it may have been a little surprising because this is not a traditional horror film. So I and we really haven't talked about this, so we've saved it for the show. So I'd like to know uh, what you guys uh, thought of the film. I'm curious why you think it wasn't a traditional horror film. Well, I mean, in the uh, it's in it's the traditional very, like pulpy, but like yeah. Well, I I don't want to say too much. In regards to, it was totally like that's a legit horror movie. I'm not saying yeah, that it's yeah. not legit. What I'm saying is a, that I'm referring to something at the end of the film that I would rather not discuss. It's a horror comedy that worked. <laughs> Good Actually, job. So I posted about it on Instagram that we were watching it, and someone commented, "My review of this was scathing." I'm curious what you thought. <laughs> it's like wait, say again. Um, someone commented that their review of it was scathing, and uh, they commented were, where on in, my Instagram. Oh, okay. And they were wondering what I thought of it. And I was like, uh, I could see his brand of humor pissing off people because, I mean, he kind of the like sometimes cartoony background music makes it look like he's joking about sensitive subjects, um, which I think really worked for the movie. But I could see it like, I guess, m- making some people mad. I don't know why it would be scathing. I don't I think know. It was political. Oh, yeah, I think maybe. I think uh, they had read into this as like copaganda, even though it's a pretty neutral view. They're not glorifying anything in this film. Well, it's the same, yeah, uh, with Thunder Road, uh, where he's a police officer in that as well. Yeah, but that's also like a not glorifying role, right? No, because yeah. well, I, I think that the the overall arcing story in The Wolf of Snow Hollow is that his father, um, played by um, oh god. I'm losing it. Robert Forrester, who I believe this is his last role uh, before he passed away, um, where Jim Cummings, uh, Robert Forrester plays his father, and he is always trying, uh, who is the sheriff of of this uh, county, and um, Jim Cummings is just sort of 
just been a part of the the law enforcement business and like he's supposed to follow in the footsteps of his father and although there's not really he's not really seen as a leader uh with everyone involved in the uh the sheriff's department there and including his father i think sees it more than than anyone else there and um i think that we we get a front row seat to his struggles there and that or maybe he's not even fully committed uh, to it as well and then he's also you know and um, has substance abuse issues um, and I think that uh, how that played out uh, was uh, I think that this has a very unique point of view and I really enjoyed the, the visuals in this I liked how he framed um, everything in this movie I think that there's a unique um, cinematic language that he uses yeah, it's it's got a lot of weird emotional turns. Like, I, I don't think it's building to any one narrative. And uh, it kind of comes off as Twin Peaks to me. But not in like a soap opera sense, but more in like, a, this is The Wire and the main character is Baltimore. Yeah. Yeah, like, like, clearly Jim Cummings is our main character. But we get a lot of different perspective and, you know, the incidents that occur are affecting multiple people. I don't know. I thought it was really cool. I thought it was whenever people do like a one up, like if a Bloom House is doing like, what are they doing with Amazon Prime? They have like movies they're making and oh god, I I watched one of those last night. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I'm not exactly sure because I saw one of his build as a TV series, but th- these are these are motion pictures. And I went and looked at the one I watched last night, which was called The Lie. And on IMDb, it's listed as 2018, but it just came out on Prime. So I don't know if this was a Bloomhouse property that had been on the shelf. And it's not It's not the Into the Dark movies? Or? No, it's Prime is doing, they've got their own thing with Bloomhouse. So they've got, I think, four feature films that they just dropped all at once, uh, partnered with Bloomhouse. Uh, and then I watched The Lie last night, and uh, that's all you need to know about that. So they just picked them up, they didn't produce them? As far as I know, I that's what I think. If you okay. have any uh, further clarification as to what <laughs> know, yeah. uh, Amazon is doing with Bloomhouse, please email us at podcast. I, I only brought it up because there's so many times where it's like, oh, a production company will throw a healthy amount of money at an indie director to get kind of like a polished product. And I think that's what Jim Cummings did here. It feels super polished. All the acting is great. It's a very, uh, it's not a giant story. It's not like a sweeping epic. Actually, I think it's a pretty short film, too. It was like 77 minutes or something. Uh, yeah, nope. an hour 23. I mean, it's breezy and I don't know. I thought it was cool. Like, it's a movie I, I don't think I, it's not something I thought about a lot. He's a great anti hero. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you hate him. And I, I don't know if you ever love him, but you'll definitely root for there, him. There's an affability to him, despite yeah. him being a complete emotional wreck. What about um, and an asshole? Who played his partner? Was that that's Ricky Lindholm? Okay, I don't. I'm not familiar with her. Is uh, she, is she's, she a comedian. Yeah, uh, yes, she she is an actress, uh, but she is also uh, was in a musical group called what? Uh, um, Garfunkel and Oates. Oh, she oh was... that's why she's familiar. I've seen I've seen posters. I haven't, I haven't heard them. Oh, though. that's her. That's her. Oh, I did not like that group. <laughs> oh yeah, that I, sounds about. I remember <laughs> what the fuck were they, were they on? They have like a TV show. Or yes, something? I think so. On IFC, I get it. I loved her in this role. She's great. She plays such a like subdued character mm-hmm. who has just like an internal strength and a presence on film on this camera. And as they say in uh, The Wire, she's real police. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. I don't I looking at her, I was like, she's gotta be like a stand up or something. She had just like a a good confidence. Yeah. E- yeah. I don't, actor. Yeah. Yeah, no, th- she was really good in that. Did Thunder Road have like the same kind of uh comedy like undertones yes uh there are tonally a lot of similarities between thunder road and wolf hollow and i think russ i even told you that uh we were about halfway into yeah snow wolf hollow i said you know this is this is thunder road with a werewolf (laughs) and i don't mean that in a negative way yeah thunder road the only experience i had with that i remember you talking about it before but i remember the alamo showing the clip which I think was just a short film, right? It would have been the trailer. Which it's him crying in, like by a casket. Yeah. I will show you guys the short film today. Where's where, where it, it available? Vimeo. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll throw a link up, too. Yeah, not enough people put their short films on public platforms anymore. All right. But yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed Wolf of Snow Hollow. Um yeah, I, I I think it's interesting to to sort of have uh, these unique voices uh, occupy horror. Which and one did you like more? It's hard to say, um, but I right now I'll say Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, really? Here's why: the short film of Thunder Road affected me in such a way to where the feature film didn't live up to that hype for me oh okay and i and again i I, that's not any fault to to the film i that's my own understanding of what i wanted out of that movie based on this 12 minute short that's one take and one scene because i think i think that thunder road is one take yeah um that's 12 minutes long that takes place in a, a funeral and the motion picture version of that was not that. And the rest of the film's great, but it's just... Um, was that a short film, too? The the feature? Was it like a 70-minute movie, or was it longer? Uh, Thunder Road, I, I, I would say around 90. Oh, okay. If memory serves correctly. I don't know why. I always had it in my head that Thunder Road was going to be some like big art house production that was going to be like way long and deal with a bunch of i don't know i didn't imagine a comedy element 92 yeah i don't know i i really like the wolf of snow hollow yeah it's fun there's not enough werewolf movies either i know now where where would you put this next to um late phases two very different oh i don't know i actually think they'd make a good pair they both have like a, a father-son dynamic at the core yeah and Oh, I don't know. Late phase is a little more can't be fun. Late phase has the. Uh, I would only give that a, an up because it's got our boy Tom Noonan in it, yep. and it's also got a protagonist who's blind, and that performance is just so good. He's very good, and you know our our buddy's the director, so I you know I feel like I don't know where what would you put and fastened. Um, oh yeah, and fa- oh man, late phases wins. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I really like the the snowy setting of Snow Hollow. Thank you for pointing that out. There's not enough horror movies. And we watch this one right after it. Got to snow. (laughs) Well, there's been a pretty popular argument for Friday the 13th to go to snow. Like, I think uh, Hitchcock was a big fan, and he would say, you know, blood looks better in the contrast, and that's why he always chose blonde women. And 
that was the first thing I thought about when we watched it. It's like, holy shit, it's snow. Yeah. Which I imagine would be kind of a nightmare if you're using a lot of practical, which we do get a lot of blood and gore. It seems like continuity could get away from you without even thinking. I feel like, I mean, they're almost like neck and neck for me. Maybe because I, I'm way more refreshed on The Wolf of Snow Hollow because we just watched it like you know this week. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like they're pretty close. I do. There love can't it can't be a tie. We're not playing soccer. Didn't football? Wasn't there a tie recently? You can have a tie in the national. Yeah, football but it's league. not supposed to happen. I believe the Eagles tied. That's fucking. What a joke! It's super lame, <laughs> and nothing gets me more mad when I simulate in Madden and I ended a tie. But how oh. often does that normally happen in a regular season? It happens once a year, probably. Oh, man, that's how far removed I've been from the NFL. So. Unlike the NFL, we're not going to have a tie here. You got to pick one. So I feel like their strengths are both are are so different. It's hard to compare them. That's, that's fair. That's a hundred percent fair. Um, and they're completely different, but they're both like small what, budget werewolf. What, what speaks more to Oksana? I feel like the lead of um, Late Phases was way more capable than Jim Cummings in this movie. <laughs> that is fair. Now, and some of the visual, so... Uh, well... You know what? I'm going to go with, just by a tiny bit, Late Phases is better because they show you more of the uh, grim aftermath of Maulings. That's a cop-out. It is. I feel like sure. you wanted to go Wolf of Snow Hollow, but you think we're going to beat you up or something. Not at all, no. I just, it's really... Uh, it is really hard to say. Like, Jim, I got your me, back. Wolf of Snow Hollow. <laughs> he, the like, the spiral, the downward spiral his character goes in um, was like really hard to watch. It was just like, I don't know, when he kept... Uh, That's the strength of the film. And I'll tell you, when, when it first pops up, we get a really jarring, like, uh, we're getting like, it's not a crane, it's on a track probably, but the camera is coming in tight uh, above a microwave. And it's like, what the fuck was that? And it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And then it pays off. And 100%. when it paid off, I was like, oh, dude, that was beautiful. Yeah. That was a great, do you know what I'm talking about? You have no idea. Don't reveal it. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal it. But it pays off in a way that I thought was amazing. Like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Was it was very good. Yeah. Good job, Jim. All right. So, um, yeah, that wraps up Movie Talk. Uh, so let's throw it to the interview, uh, which Russell and I did uh, without the help of one Randy Michael Stant, who I think could have uh, maybe contributed. I always – I give him the benefit of the doubt, but at the end of the day, he's going to shit the bed when it terms, in terms of uh, interviewing with guests. Don't you agree, Russell? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. He just doesn't really contribute. Uh, <laughs> which I don't know if that's a strength or a – a week he, he sent us a very nice 10-minute clip, which we played. Uh, so enjoy our interview uh, with the great Jen Wexler. Um, he, we were very excited to speak with her uh, about uh, her various projects, uh, both on the production side and on the directorial side. Uh, Jen tries to share a little bit of wisdom to one Russell Fisher about what makes a producer a good producer. Yeah, it's the job that I always... Just from talking to people and, you know, all the guests we've had on, I always imagine that's where I would land if I was to ever do something and I, I needed perspective. Yeah. I'd land on uh, craft services somewhere. Mm. Making cheese sandwiches. Oh, boy. On that island. Cutting the crust off. Cutting the crust <laughs> off. There you go. All right. So enjoy our interview with Jen Wexler. 
And then to oh, you got one more thing? No, I I realized that I missed an opportunity. Oh boy. We when when we were talking about God. Road. <laughs> That's good. I should have done that. Worth it. <laughs> Enjoy the interview, which I assure you is better than this closing bit. Oh, no. See you next week, lollipops. Nothing's gonna beat that bit. Uh, Jen, where are you calling us from? Are you are you uh, East Coast? Or are you uh, you finally bit the bullet and you're you're L.A. now? No, I live in Brooklyn, but I love L.A. and uh, I try to go out there when the world is you know normal and working. Right. How 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 are you holding up over there? I'm good. It's fall now in New York, which is lovely. Um, you know, you have the the crisp. The fall crispness in the air and the leaves are turning, so it's a nice time to be here. We hope to get to that point uh, here in Northern California. It was it was over ninety five degrees here a couple <laughs> days ago. Oh my gosh! The, it's everything's falling apart. I don't know. Yeah, the weekend's been a nightmare. It's been just hot and yeah. humid. It's not very wow. good October weather for us. Wow. You guys are around the Bay Area, around San yeah, Francisco? yeah, yeah. We're just south of the city. Cool. We did a screening of the Ranger in San Francisco at the Alamo Draft House. Yep, it sold out incredibly quick, and I was very angry. Our, uh, <laughs> I, I think we have a mutual friend, uh, Madeline Kessner. We had her on last week, and she reached out to us and said, "Hey, you all need to go see the Ranger. It's playing at the Alamo tomorrow." And oh I was my like, gosh! Yeah, bitch, it was sold out already. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because um, Madeline lived out there. She goes back and forth, I guess. She's in New York, and then she's in San Francisco. All right, we lost a bet, right? I, I lost a bet right now. Any, I owe you any, some money, Clark. Any, <laughs> any chance she has to come out here. She was just out here uh, last week, um, and uh, we watched the uh, Nightstream Film Festival. Um, oh, fun. I watched a little bit of that, too. Oh, what'd you see? Um, what did I watch? Oh, they're all blending together in my mind because I also watched some Salem stuff too. Oh, yep. Um, yeah. I can't remember. I, I went to the party that Graham Skipper threw, the rated R dance party for a little bit. Oh, okay. It was like, it was like a Skype thing, a Zoom thing. Um, I saw, I'm trying to remember which one was there. I saw um, the Mary Shelley movie at the Salem Horror Fest, which is what's popping to mind at the moment oh okay. I'll, I'll remember it's weird now because you know i used to go to a lot of different festivals and i would travel to all these festivals and now i'm just watching them all on my laptop right so they're blending together a little bit a hundred percent it's the same thing here like we, we've done chattanooga fantasia um and now nightstream it's just um but but uh, have you had what's your experience with it do you think that this is sort of um, at least for a while that this is going to be the the avenue for film festivals to live in um i think it's really awesome that the film festivals are are finding a way to celebrate these films and making events of the films and it's it is a bummer for filmmakers who have films out this year because you know everybody looks forward to that festival experience but i think the festivals are doing a really good job and i hope just because i miss all my friends who live in different parts of the world and you know i tend to see them at these festivals uh i hope that everything returns to normal soon yeah i don't know i, I was really skeptical going into the online avenue of film fest but 
I mean, in the Bay Area, we have a pretty rich culture of there's a film fest happening every weekend. And it's like, how, how are you going to capture that? And I think it's been pretty interesting. And the idea of curated content in a streaming service, I, was, I couldn't have been more against it. But when we got in there, I mean, I'm lucky enough, uh, me and Clark live together, and we're here with two other people, and we, we can still like enjoy the films in a group setting. And we, yeah. al- we also have a projector. So, we're, oh, nice. yeah, we're kind of spoiled. Yeah. But I don't know, the idea that this content will be gone Monday, I think it really adds some urgency to it. And sure. I feel like, you know, we, we still get that, like, watch the fucking film. Because when you're at a theater, that's really what's going on is there's some social pressure there. Where when you're at home, it's like, you know, I use this a lot, but Netflix, it, eh, I feel like people are half in the kitchen making dinner or like on their phone while something's playing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I think now, you know, I am, I try not to be on my phone too much while I'm watching the movies, but, um, the social part of it is like on Twitter, you know, it's like everyone, uh, is like, even if you're watching it by yourself, a lot of people take time to be like, okay, at 7 PM, we're going to watch the movie all together and we're going to tweet about it with each other. So you still feel like you're part of a community. Yeah. I'm just breaking into Twitter. So I'm not really, I don't get the second screen experience yet, but so many people have told me, like live tweeting. Well, you've recently gotten uh, publicly lambasted by Madeline because of your ignorance to Twitter. Oh, she guilted the <laughs> hell out of me for it. I I went up to her and said, "Hey, so we don't we don't manage our Twitter very well on this podcast, and I think there are six different people logged into it. We're getting better. We're getting better. And it's I was like, "Hey, how do we look at things we've posted before?" And she just glared at me. I was like, "Are you joking right now?" Also, oh as as far as as far as Film Fest communities, Nightstream had that eight bit. It looked like you're playing Pokemon on the Game Boy. Right? Did you jump into that at all, Jen? I didn't. I did not participate, but it looked cool. I, I saw people posting about it. It was adorable. So uh, we're voyeurs here. We're a big fan of uh, screen life films, found footage films, and when you have your laptop hooked up to the projector to show films. Uh, we also got to watch Madeline run around in the 8-bit universe. And oh, fun. It was, it was interesting. They were doing updates every day to the graphics, so like you'd be in like a virtual bar, and they'd have mm-hmm. a table set up, and there'd be like five stools. And if you sat in one, only people sitting on the stool could hear you talk, but also it was a video chat. Yeah. So when you sat down, a video would pop up, and... I, I couldn't do it. I feel like she's in her world. Again. I know. <laughs> you you even describing that to me, I get filled with anxiety. Yeah. She was meeting people. She met people from <laughs> Popcorn Fest and other film festivals. She was networking. I'm like, yeah. it's making me anxious. Watch her. I, I don't know. That sounds awesome. I feel like I missed out. Yeah. I think that platform, I think they're looking at uh, allowing other film fests to use it. So I don't know. I mean, from Chattanooga, it was just a VOD. You click on a video whenever you want in the weekend. You watch it. Then we had um, Film Fest out here, uh, Another Hole in the Head. They did kind of like a live stream Zoom thing. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. it's a, It's a weird medium. And as an, uh, a, th- in, a film enthusiast, I'm enjoying it. But yeah. as a director, I don't know. I Right. Yeah. It's one of those things to get, again, it, it all comes down to losing the sense of community and all of us as film fans, um, that's very important. And I think that, you know, if we were to lose that theater atmosphere, well, it's also like 
for a lot of us, it's the most socializing we do in our life. <laughs> going to a film fest. I 100% as someone who has not left the house much in seven months, I can see Dude, all of that. our friends we've met in the Alamo lobby. That's where you meet friends at the Alamo Draft House. Yeah. I like have maybe seen, I haven't even seen more than 10 people in seven months. Like maybe I've only seen five friends in person in seven months time so i am definitely with you on that like no film festivals no movie theaters means i i don't have the place to see my friends well and and then we're kind of like trapped in social media connection and it's not healthy like you i don't want to i don't want to go there now but i definitely want to talk about like me later Mm -hmm. and i feel like that film totally touches on the the uh imitation of human connectivity that we get through social media well it's a natural segue <sighs> we're know. already there i told all you. right fine well i'm all about <laughs> organic conversation i'm, I'm very excited about that film is all so oh, you start thank you. well jed so um, yeah, yeah. Uh, basically uh, one of the main things uh, obviously you know um we wanted to talk to you about your directorial effort with the ranger but I need you, Jen, to solve some mysteries for me uh, with uh, a film that you produced that Russell mentioned, Like Me. So um, this is a film that I actually made Russ watch yesterday uh, because I watched it just a few months ago. Put a gun to my head. And was enamored with it. <laughs> and then I saw that the, the writer, director, this is the only thing that he's done. So I, I need to know what's going on. Because this is a great movie. Are we talking Robert Mockler? Yeah. 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 Well, Robert is awesome and he is has such a great as you can see from like me um aesthetic and uh the way his mind works is truly like so awesome and and glass eye picks got involved with like me because we saw these teaser um like short films that him and one and the producer jesselyn my co-producer jesselyn had Mm -hmm. made as they were you know trying to get financing for it and we just totally fell in love with these teasers, they were like, they're like, like a video, there was music videos or like a video version of like Instagram, you know, this was like 2015 that, um, that we were seeing these. So it was obviously pre TikTok and everything like that. And it was just like, Oh my gosh, I just want to like live in this candy colored world, this candy colored, like I, at the time I was comparing it to Tumblr, like a movie version of Tumblr. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then we all just kind of worked together to make that, to make the feature version on the budget that we had, and we shot it all in New York. Um, but it was really cool watching him and also our DP, James Seward, just, like, come up with these really experimental uh, approaches for shooting stuff. Now... Jen, I am only familiar with you because you blew up on the scene with the Ranger and you and everybody who listens to the show and um, everybody, you know, all our film friends, they all knew it. it. It was just on the radar right away. So I was surprised to look back at your IMDb and see that you've mostly produced. Now, we, we talked to a lot of industry people and one of the things they always mention is everybody who is a film fan always wants to be a director. That's the, that's the job everybody always imagines. And they always say, you know, most people aren't cut out for it. So me, being self-deprecating, I'm like, clearly I'm not a director. But I always <laughs> felt maybe I could be a producer. Could you, like, explain how you got involved in that and, like, what it takes to be a good producer? 
For sure. So I always wanted to ultimately be a director, um, but I knew that there was a whole world of information I needed to learn first. And I mean, I went to school for film. I focused in screenwriting and I also minored in production. And um, and then I worked in, I worked for a horror movie TV network called Fearnet. Oh, rad. Yeah. And I did marketing there. So I kind of learned about horror as an industry in my job as a marketing coordinator there. Now, now and really quick, when, when you got, where did you go to college? I went to school at the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. Oh, rad. I love Philadelphia. We actually went out there for uh, Madeline's Film Fest. Beautiful city. I really wanted to move out there for a while. Anyway, the transition from college to Fearnet, how did you make that uh, bridge? So it was really cool. When I was in college in Philly, Fearnet was based in Philly. They were owned by Comcast. Then Fearnet moved to LA at the same time I was graduating. So I was doing an internship there. So then it just worked out timing wise that they were moving to LA at the same time I was graduating. And then I got like my first official job. I moved to LA also and I got my first official job working there. Oh, that's rad. Man, you just made me really nostalgic for Fearnet. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember when On Demand was kind of where I went for horror movies, which seems like, uh, like archaic now. Anyway, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I just, it was I, a, a good time. I was there from 2008 to 2012. Oh, shit. God, rest in peace. I miss it. I felt yeah. like there was a good community there. Anyway, yeah, exactly. ba- back to producing. Yeah. So then I moved to New York in 2012. And oh, so while I was at Fearnet, I came across House of the Devil and The Innkeepers and all these movies that, you know, Larry Fessenden's production company, Glass Eye Picks, had made. And I became really obsessed with them and this company. And I was moving to New York and I was like, I really want to work for this company. So, um, and I was making short films and stuff. I was directing these little three minute short and scary films on my own, but I really wanted to learn like producing, uh, and directing like on features. So I got hooked up with Larry Fessenden and Peter Polk, who was another producer there. And, um, I pitched, I, I pitched them why they should hire me at their uh, Christmas party while everybody was drunk, and then <laughs> they hired me, and then I started working there, and um, so I learned how to produce features and like really understanding every phase of it from you know pre-production through delivery um, at Glass Eye, and while I mean I was there, I was there from 2013 to pretty recently, like 2019. And so while I was there, I, I produced about six films for them and also some short form content. And it was really through, I mean, as a producer, especially at Glass Eye, like we were really focused on like, when we work with these filmmakers, doing everything we can to support them and bringing their vision to life, obviously on, you know, the budgets that we had agreed to up front and the schedules we had agreed to up front, but like within finding the creativity within those constraints and doing everything that we could as producers to support the filmmakers and their vision. So that was really like learning how to make movies like that was really helpful for me when I started thinking about the first feature that I wanted to direct, which was the Ranger. Um, so it was really like, it was really a filmmaking boot camp under Larry Fessenden. What was it like meeting him for the first time? It was his it was that Christmas party and 
I was really nervous because it was like a friends and family Christmas party. And I had just wanted an interview with them. And then they invited me to their Christmas party instead. So um, my boyfriend and I went and I didn't know anybody. So I didn't talk to anybody like the entire night. I was so socially awkward. And then at the very end of the night, I said, thank you to Peter, the producer who had invited me there. And then we got into a conversation and then, you know, we were drunk or whatever. And then he introduced me to Larry and Larry... I mean, like, Larry's Christmas parties are, like, the best. They go down <laughs> as, like, everybody wants to... If if we could do it more than once a year, we if we could celebrate Christmas more than once a year, we would, because they're so fun. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, everyone was drunk, and, <laughs> and, it was, and it was really fun meeting him. And he... I was just, like, because I was such a fan. I was just, like, just a fangirl about it. I was, like, oh, my gosh. Uh you know, I'm at his house. I just met him, but it got really cool and special. Like the following week when I actually started working there and just like getting to learn from him. God, that's a cool interview process. Yeah. You go to, you go to, like, that's the kind of company I would want to work for. Now, yeah. does, does Larry, do they, do you have a holiday game he plays? Is he like a secret Santa guy? He at the Christmas party every year he does a puppet show. Oh <laughs> fuck! See, I thought I thought I was, I was see what I was gonna do there was I'm like he probably plays Secret Santa and then I was gonna one up him with our white elephant game and then I can't one up a puppet hey. show though. Well, I mean, <laughs> look for the record, our white elephant game is nothing to sneeze. Yeah, at. that's true. So bring it, Larry. Well, do, is there a theme with the puppet show? Are we doing like a manger setup or? It's a Christmas Carol. Every year, and he he does all the characters. He does the voices for the different characters, it, and it like it's it's at his apartment in the Lower East Side, and it's like packed. Like the whole floor of the apartment building is like packed with people trying to see the puppet show. Now, what kind of puppets are we talking? Are we talking sock puppets or? They're like very delicately, lovely made puppets. I don't know. They're like. Seems like they were made a long time ago, but they're treated very well. God damn it. He's got good puppets, too. (laughs) I'm so used to the stories of like, I'm kind of like these nitty gritty, like, oh, I met uh, Charles Band and I wanted a job. (laughs) You know what I mean? Or like, we're talking like Lloyd Kaufman and it's always kind of like. Oh, are, are these good experiences or bad? Well, and you the, don't know. We've heard both good experiences of both of those guys. Uh, I know, and I really wanted Larry to be a good one. I think Lloyd Kaufman's involved a, a box of balloons or something. Oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, very sweet. <laughs> what happened to all the terrible like people? All these production people that are like just awful and exploitive. Are they gone? Do they exist anymore, Jen? I haven't come into contact with them, so I, I couldn't tell you. All right, they all went down with Epstein. Well, I know of one who you know is got Corona in prison. So, oh, yeah, there we go. You got that guy. Yeah. Um, but yes, but but Jen specifically, like, what did you learn from Larry? Like, you know, you you go on set for the first time as a director. You've got that title now. So, what 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 did all this experience from producing and specifically did you learn from from Larry Fessenden? Um, I think Larry has so much joy for the process he really brings like a lightness to his sets and just like a true like he just like loves to be on set making movies so 
all of my experiences making movies at Glass Eye were just like, you know, we're like a family making these movies together. They're, it's a really like intimate, fun experience. Um, so I don't know, like you hear stories about like messed up things happening on sets or just like sets being grueling. And of course it's hard work, obviously making movies is really intense, but at the end of the day, I think because, you know, when you're working with good people, you're a team and everyone's having a good time. So I think that like that lightness and joy is something that I really tried and want to continue to bring to, you know, the sets when I'm a director. So does that really come into play? Like with, with casting specifically, if like you're going for this sort of, uh, familial atmosphere, if you notice of like, you know, does that make sense of like you're looking for a certain type of actor or a certain type of, you know, anyone involved with the project to see if, you know, they can play ball? Or like fit in the set culture? Yeah. yeah certainly on really, on like low budget indie movies, uh, everybody ranging from cast to crew to everyone needs to be aware of like what kind of movie they're making. And that's something that everybody should be aware of up front. And that's certainly as a producer you know, especially on a couple of the lower budget ones when, you know, if, if crew members had to share a room, let's say at a hotel, like two people to a room, that's something that like, as a producer, you need to tell people up front. Like that's one of, that's in the first conversation. Here's how we're planning to do our shoot. Are you down with this? Are you okay with this? Um, not, not hiding any, like that right surprise Um, bunk bed yeah yeah um what was i'm sorry what was the rest of the question in terms of cast and then in terms of directing with cast uh honestly it's for me it's just more about like do do i connect with this person do they connect with me do they connect with the script are we vibing like what is our relationship going to be? I like to like create my own language with my actors wherein we have our own private conversations so that when we're on set, you know, I could just say like one thing and they're like, Oh yeah, exactly. And we're, we're totally on the same page. Cause when you're in the middle of shooting, there's a million things going on. So you definitely want to be on the same page with your actors and also your department heads, uh, well before you step on set and, you know, be able to, to get to the emotional place you need to be quickly. Right. And also, you know, just having the confidence of knowing that, you know, the, the buck stops with you now. So (laughs) if, if someone comes to you and says, you know, this handkerchief, you want red or yellow, you better know the answer, right? That's a pretty easy one. (laughs) That's a, that's a, that's just like, okay, well, what's the color scheme of this scene in this well, shot? Well, Jen, Jen, you say that, <laughs> but I'm a colorblind gentleman. I don't know. I can't. Anytime I have to dress up for something, I will send pictures to someone who I know is not colorblind, which I actually have a lot of colorblind friends. That's very strange. That's another <laughs> podcast. But yeah, that, like things like that, would, would um, I would immediately seize up. Well, as a leader, you can lose a lot of people on the little things. Yeah. Like whenever people come up and say, Hey, um, should I do this or that? And you're like, oh, I don't know. Like just in like retail management or shit like that. Yeah. Easy way to lose respect. Yeah. <laughs> Not having a clear vision. 
I think it's, I think that's why communication is so important early on, like in pre-production, like in your first conversations with your team so that, you know, you're like, Hey, I've been with this project for a year and a half trying to get financing. So I've obviously thought about it a lot. And here's my vision for this. This is what I'm thinking. And then being open enough, obviously filmmaking is a collaborative experience being open that like once they are on the same thought train as you and you guys are all going in the same direction, you know, they'll come up with their own ideas. And as long as it's in line with the world that you guys are creating, then, but I think a lot of it's knowing, uh, oh wait, that's, that's not in line. That's like a separate train line. That's like going in the other direction versus, yeah, we're all on the same train going and, to the same place. Jen, was there any time while you were directing the film that, um, again, you, you had all these experience as a producer, so you, and all with independent films, so yet you, you had a pretty good understanding of anything that could go wrong. Was there anything that sort of took you by surprise during the production? Um, hmm. <laughs> That's how you know she's a good producer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um not nothing nothing I mean nothing that comes to mind at this point. There were well, congratulations. Days were really hard. Yeah. Like uh we had to like on one of our last days we had to like climb a mountain to get to our final <laughs> But I, I knew that that was a thing we would have to do. What I what I was concerned about in that moment was like, oh, my God, I have to make my SAG actors climb this mountain because, like, roads don't go there. We can't drive up. So I have to, like, but they were really cool about it. Everyone was really cool. So um, even though it was physically hard for everybody, it was, like, literally climbing a ladder up into the air. It was so steep. Um, it was still fun. We had, like, a really good time. Sounds like a good team building exercise. Sounds too. like Werner Herzog. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> okay, now with the Ranger, I noticed that you have a co-writer, and yes. I, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, but I know Jocko. that it's cool. <laughs> Jocko Farino. That's uh, a fucking confirmed. cool name. <laughs> now, yeah. How did so, you, I think Jocko. you already know what I'm going to ask. Yeah. Okay. Now, how did you team up with them? So Jocko was my classmate in college. And actually, the first day I met him, which was our first day of freshman year, he said, hey, my name is Jake. It's really Jocko, but I go by Jake. And I was like, no, your <laughs> name is here. You're going by Jocko because that's way cooler Hell than Jake. Yeah. Indeed. And now, to this day, he continues to go by Jocko. So I think I had a little part in that, maybe a little bit. Um, so Jocko wrote The Ranger as his senior thesis screenplay. We all to write screenplays senior year of our screenwriting course. So uh, he wrote The Ranger, and I was like, yo, punks versus a park ranger. That's super cool. I want to see that movie. Um, but you know, you graduate from film school and nobody knows what to do with their screenplays. So they all go into drawers as everybody tries to like make money and survive and pay rent. So it wasn't until I started working at Glass Eye that I was like, and I was like, oh, I really want to direct a feature. What do I want to direct? I remembered 
Jacko's screenplay and I was like yo can you find that and can we work on it together and like update it to our current sensibilities and then can I direct it and he was like yes so we did that (laughs) how cool of a phone call would that be like my buddy back in college just hit me up and wants to produce my film and (laughs) now are you are you a big fan of the punk genre or is Jocko we yeah I we both have had our time in it for me it was when I was a teenager I moved to a new town I was really lonely uh and then I started going to punk shows and I like it helped me become like it helped me find myself you know when you're a teenager you're figuring yourself out and it it helped me discover a part of myself and it showed me like because I was really unhappy at school I like wasn't fitting in with with you know the typical uh clicks that are available to you in high school um and this going to shows hanging out with people that were going to these shows and like forming my own community of people outside of my high school in this world was like it's partly why I am like who I am now and I'm okay to not like fit in the lines you know of society cool I you know I had to ask I mean Clearly, the the Ranger has spoken to the punk community. We know so many people who enjoy it, and they refer to it as a pretty authentic view. And yet, I look at it, and I think it's a very sober view of the culture. And you really capture like the idea of kind of like misfits hanging out because they have a common interest, yet they don't always get along, and they're kind of they can be toxic to each other at times. And it's kind of where you know you push each other in the wrong direction a little bit in the, the form of rebellion. Go ahead, Clark, I know you want to say well, something. Well, I, I just want to give Jen full context here as, as, as Russell is from the other side of the fence, Jen. Uh, Russell's a, a metalhead. He's actually wearing an obituary shirt as oh, we speak God. right now. Um, so, yeah, R- Russ, you... And Jen, I, I guess this pokes the question of how has the film been received to the punk community? Because I know that... I know these subsect... I don't belong to any group. Jen, I, I, uh, lifelong commitment issues for me as far as I'm concerned. So I, Russell's very deep rooted in the uh, in the metal community. At Randy, as I said, hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand. I am very familiar with both of these groups. And then anytime that you have you know an, a project that's sort of centered around a specific group of people, uh-huh. that specific group of people can be very critical <laughs> about the, something that you're portraying that they hold very near and dear to their heart. So. Has the punk community uh, been uh, open with the Ranger? Yes. Um, so, I mean, of course, there's a couple people here and there that are like, oh, that's not me, whatever. Like, of course, like, you put something out, you're like, this is my experience of it, and other people aren't going to... There's sometimes you get people who don't um, click with it, and that's fine. But overall... We've gotten like an amazing response from the punk community. And I think that part of that is because it wasn't just me and Jocko. It was like, like there were like people who love punk in every involved in the movie in every stage. One of our producers, Heather Buckley is like deep in that scene, uh, is deep in that scene right now as an, you know, uh, an adult woman, she's deep in the punk scene in New Jersey and she, uh, our punk party in the beginning is like something that she threw with like all of her friends that showed up and 
Um, she got the band Rotten UK to come down and we like actually threw a punk show um, in this old, it's no longer open. We were the last thing to shoot there, but in this old like punk bar uh, in Brooklyn and down to like our, like, so from that all the way to like our, uh, you know, people involved in creating our vinyl and our VHS and the art, all our title sequences, like people, everybody involved in this movie, like got it and love punk in general. Also our soundtrack, like we had this really, um, uh, awesome guy, Mita Goodwin, who was our music supervisor, who in the, 80s was a band promoter and he's from the bay area actually and he's so he's tight with all these different bands um including like fang and the authorities and the avengers and so when it came time to figure out the soundtrack he was like i've already talked to like all my friends and all these bands are down to be a part of it like here's a bunch of albums just go through it and let me know what makes sense which from a director's perspective is like the best feeling to be able to just like sit with your movie and like tr like try out different songs and see what fits best in terms of theme and pacing and everything so um that was a total dream and actually when we did our show i mean when we did our um screening in the draft house in san francisco a lot of the bands came out and because a lot of them are based around there um so overall people are into it. I think also people are um, receptive to the fact that we're like having a little bit of fun with it too. Like, you know, obviously a lot of our, uh, a lot of the inspirations for it are punk movies too from the eighties, like uh, Return of the Living Dead and Class of 1984. And um, uh, Heather Buckley and I, the producer Heather, uh, and I like to talk about how like punk uh, you know, when, when in the eighties, when punk became mainstream in the media, then like real punk started to dress like the movie punks. So it kind of became like this weird meta version of itself. So I think we tried to kind of embrace all of those elements in making the film. Now, uh, Clark, I hate you. Why do you always bring up the metal thing? Now, I, I understand from an outsider. You are what you are, baby. Now, it's culturally, it's important. And I should mention, I um, I have met Heather before. I think I met her at Puff 2. And Madeline introduced me to her literally the same way. Hey, here's a metal guy who likes horror movies, and he's got a lot of opinions. So I believe <laughs> I stood in the lobby and I argued with Heather about how to craft an authentic horror film that's kind of exploitive of the music genre, but also very authentic. And the fact that we stood there and argued about it has solidified her in my mind as uh, somebody who knows what she's talking about. I don't want to go in there and agree with everybody or have them agree with me. And we are not an agreeable person. Continue. Now, the reason the punk community embracing it is important is because they can smell bullshit. Yeah. Just like, this is what I complain about with a lot of metal exploitation, is just from the music alone. There's so much you can get from it. And you can tell, like, you could deem somebody a fucking poser just from, like, that's not... this. The, what you're going for, this character you've created, would not be listening to that band. I believe, um... What was that movie I was kind of hard on that I actually liked? Uh, the Devil's Candy? Yeah. 
was that one? Mm-hmm. And I remember the dude was supposed to be this deep introverted metalhead who was kind of like brooding and nihilist. Yet the only band he ever fucking listened to was Metallica. And I'm like, it just doesn't read that way. Like I've met people who were like depressive and would escape in music and they weren't listening to fucking ride the lightning. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I just, <laughs> and just hearing everybody talk about how the Ranger really rung true to me is not a punk fan. I always thought it wasn't the music, but now hearing you explain that there's some legitimacy there. I always thought it was just the way that you approached it from like a neutral outsider perspective. Cause my favorite parts of the film are just watching. Okay. Let's get into some theory here. here like I was talking to Clark about this earlier and I thought you had, you had a pretty cool urban versus rural life going on here. And we're basically taking um, misfits in an urban center where there's not a lot of freedom. Like we kind of live on top of each other in a city and we're transplanting them to uh, the wilderness where you have a lot of freedom. And I think, you know, when a group of weirdos like us meet in the Alamo, it's always like, man, if we had our own place, we could just do it our way. And we get to kind of see a group out there and they can't really agree on what their way is. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of infighting. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like developing characters that don't necessarily get along in a slasher setting, which is important? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I'm very well, long winded too. I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, so when I was, a teen. I mean, so much of this, you know, so much of everything when you're writing or when you're creating something is like not um, uh, text in your mind. Everything's subtext. Everything's like instinct. Obviously, you have your things that are intentional, but there's a lot of it that you have to trust, like your own instincts and who you are and how you grew up and and what those uh, subtextual subconscious elements are. So for me, a lot of like Chelsea is based on my own experiences, like being a teenager, being around people that were supposed to be my friends, but also I felt like uh, at any minute they would like bitch me out for not being able to, you know, not knowing enough, not like showing that I, I knew exactly what they were talking about. And by the way, you get this a lot in the horror community too, which yep. I've now been a part of since I was 22, starting to work at Fearnet. So, uh, for pretty long time I've been in all these like I've been in a lot of these situations where you're just surrounded by people and everybody just wants to like show off that they know more um and if you don't know enough and if you can't handle yourself then you're a poser and everyone especially when I was a teenager was so scared of being called a poser so that like really stuck with me like well what is a poser what is punk what is authentic um and I mean these kids so to talk about in terms of the ranger like Garth, for instance, is the first person who will bitch you out if he names a band and you don't know, you haven't heard of them or whatever. But at the same time, he is just like, uh, he's fronting too. He wears a, co- they all wear costumes, right? Yep. Even, and the Ranger too also wears his uniform. So they all wear these things as like trying to prove that they're tough or trying to prove that they're something, but they're hiding what they are through their clothes and through this attitude. Um, and the whole, you know, Chelsea's whole arc is all about getting down to like, like shedding all of that 
and just getting down to like who we are instinctively and you know at the end spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen it but at the end she very literally like reaches her this animal instinct place um and uh and even physically throughout the film if you pay attention you'll notice she's like starting you know she sheds clothes she loses her leather jacket she loses her backpack she has all this stuff in the beginning and over the course of the film it's leaving she's it's it's being taken from her it's no longer on her person um so all these things just kind of come up and you just when you're when I was directing I just like knew things were right or knew things were wrong uh because there's this inner thing you're trying to express uh yeah, does that answer the question? No, totally. I feel like I went on a tangent. No, 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 you're good. And just to briefly go back and talk about the horror community being um, elitist, how many times have we been in a room where it's like, you, you get some people and like talking about Motel Hell, and you're like, oh, what's that? And they look at you and like, you haven't fucking seen that movie? Yeah. And I mean, I used to do it too. And I've taught myself... You've gotten better. Uh, no, Well, now I, I realized instead of putting somebody down for having, you know, lacking in experience, it's an opportunity to experience it with them. Sure. Mm -hmm. So it's, you get to be like, holy shit, you haven't seen it. The next time the Castro shows it, we're going. And it's, it's like, God, I don't know what it was about high school, but it's just that way. It's like, you're, we're stepping on each other's head here. And especially when you're in a niche group and it's like, Hey, there's only five of us. Why are we being mean to each other? Yeah. Like, we should be thriving in a community. Anyway, Especially now, since the world is burning. Anyway, that was just, I just wanted to <laughs> shout out to our fan base and say, hey, all you fucking elitists, stop doing it. But I also want to touch back on, you talk about the, the protagonist arc at the end of your film and subconsciously doing things. Now, uh, there's a podcast out here in the Bay Area, the, um, Cinematic Oblivion, and they did a three-part episode on the slasher genre. And uh, they kind of introduced me to um, Carl Jung and his theory of the animus, animus, oh, anima, animus. I don't know. See, uh, I clearly I don't, don't know, know it. I, you may be going down a different path with the animus. Yeah, right. <laughs> I got to be careful with that wording. Anyway, I'm curious. Now, did you have Carl Jung in mind when you were writing this script? I did not. Okay. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I guess we're smarter than we know. Because clearly, your arc follows the theory that in the male brain, they have a female side that's kind of subliminal. And as a good male, we should grow up and learn to embrace that side and ultimately soften. So, you know, a male's journey is to chill the fuck out and um, calm down and be open. Where in the female brain, they have a male side that's all about learning your inner strength and uh, really nurturing the uh, paternalism and your instinct. And slasher films embody this all the time with the final girl and the slasher, which is why we have like repressed, sexualized maniac men who are just like, they don't know how to deal with women. And ultimately, they're, they just turn violent. And uh, we have female characters that they just fight back and, you know, they're tough. They embody the precociousness. Whoa. 
vote safely from home. All right. Everybody I guess we have a commercial jumping in. Where is that coming from? I'll check that little blue dot, maybe. Reddit. Can you hear that, Jen? I don't. Hear, I only hear you guys, but you're kind of breaking up a little bit. Okay, we just got invaded by like Russia or something, and we're getting a commercial feeding in here. Well, you have no less than 92 tabs opened up. Don't don't blame me for that. Okay, it went away. Our sponsor went away. Jesus, that's so strange. Could you couldn't hear any of that? No. Okay. Good. That's not good. It's still going to show up on our record. It's fine. We could cut that out. Right, yeah, so but Carl good. Young, I don't know. It. You kind of beautifully nailed that thing. And when I was watching the arc, I'm like, I wonder if she's aware of it. Because I hadn't been until like, you know, a month ago. Well, it wasn't an active thing. So I should listen to that podcast that you're talking about. Yeah, Cinematic Oblivion. They're... Um, there are a couple of our buddies out here. One of them is like a comic book artist. He has 18 jobs. Three of them are in comic book shops. And then another dude who's an English teacher. And they, they kind of take a uh, pretty aggressive and learned approach, which is not what you will find on this show. <laughs> yeah. Love it. They also tried to get me to watch anime. Not happening. So, mm. Jen, anime fan? No. Oh! There we go. Love it. <laughs> Yeah, I've never quite clicked with it. Are you, are you are you a fan of animation in general? Because Russell has this theory that I just hate cartoons. And that's not true. I, I'm actually not a fan of animation. Like, I'm not the kind of person that seeks out animation. Yeah, Russ, what is it about your little cartoons and your little basket? I think in a visual medium, it's incredibly freeing to do whatever you want. Also, when you watch a film like Perfect Blue from Shatoshi Khan, sure. Jen, if you ever watch an anime, watch Perfect Blue. It is completely film referent. It references a lot of like Hitchcock and maybe De Palma. It's suspenseful. It's also not untethered to reality. And uh, they do a great job of making a psychological thriller out of, you know, animation yeah, cool look. <laughs> you can tell me to shut up if you want jen it's totally fine <laughs> no it sounds great maybe i just need more recommendations in terms of animation oh now if you want to talk about the alamo our buddy uh was mike keegan the programmer when you came out here i don't recall he wears really tight pants kind of a short <laughs> it's fine he, he's our buddy and um he he uh I, I was hounding him. I was like, you got to show Perfect Blue. This place really, it needs a film audience. Film people need to embrace animation so then we can get interesting dialogue and cool theory. And, and then uh, the intro, they had a guy go up there and he was like, who likes Dragon Ball? And then everybody cheered and he's like, who likes Sailor Moon? And I, oh, I was grumbling in my seat. <laughs> anyway, enough anime. Back to you, Clark. <laughs> Well, Jen, um, I, I also see that you've, you've uh, directed uh, television as well. So what, what, what was that experience like? Because I know it's a completely different animal walking into a TV set and directing. Yeah, that was really cool. That was for a show called Pandora, which is like a sci-fi show on the CW. And um, we shot in Bulgaria. Oh, wow. Which was pretty cool. Getting It was my first time in Bulgaria. Um, so I tried to do a little bit of touristy things while I was there too. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, when you're directing a feature, you're creating the world 
And when you're directing an episode of television, your job is to come in and figure out what this world is and how all of your choices will fall in line with the what the world is and what's been established already. And, sure. Um, you know, and your job is to... Everybody on a TV show knows more than you because they're with the whole TV show. From the writers to the showrunner to the uh, department heads, you know, your DP, everybody has been there. So really what you need to do is get caught up um, and then make sure all of your choices fall in the world of that TV series. Is it, yeah, is, I, is, is that I something find, you would look forward to doing again? Yeah, yeah, I find them, I find directing TV really fun. It's just like you're kind of using, it's like a slightly different exercise than directing features, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it, well, I think the the big thing with TV, if you if you can get that uh, pilot episode, then uh, you get that residuals all the way in. So that's the goal, Jen. You gotta you gotta yeah. you gotta figure out what the hot new TV show is gonna be, and then just jump in early because that's okay. something you can absolutely figure out. Because <laughs> yep. who knew that the Big Bang Theory would go on for eight hundred nineteen years? Russell's favorite show. All right. Oh yeah. Russ, you got anything else for? Yeah, Jen I want to I want to go back to like down me. here. I feel like. We skipped over it, and I'm super curious. Now, um, again, we've mentioned Madeline too much on this fucking show. I agree. But no, when, we when, should always be talking about Madeline. <laughs> no one would want that more than Madeline, so that's why we're going to yeah. put a freeze on it. Um, <laughs> so when we were here hanging out at Nightstream, and we told her that you were the next guest we had booked, she got very excited and said, talk to her about her production. And I was like, I don't know if I really have the footing for it. Like, my... <sighs> At one point, I was working at a grocery store in Brisbane, little tiny town out here by San Francisco, and somebody offered me a job as a booking agent for a bar in the East Bay. And I this went, doesn't, yeah, this sounds great. I know, and I went, wow, I way oversold my my uh, music knowledge because <laughs> my inst, I was like, I'm terrified. And then everything I heard from people was, it's the hardest job, it's a stressful job, and it's a thankless job. And I've only heard that one other time, and that's with producing. Now, <laughs> Madeline also said that we should draw that into like me. Because we mentioned earlier, Robert Mockler, his vision was so clear and beautiful. And you mentioned like movie, uh, music video aesthetic, where to me it read kind of like a well-polished social media page. Kind of like somebody who had some money and talent and their, their Instagram videos and stuff. And I feel like it's such a deep, interesting film. And it's been, what, three years and we haven't heard from him? Like, what's going on with this character? Yeah, no, Rob needs to make more stuff. I don't know. I haven't actually spoken to him in a minute. So I can't tell you what he's working on right now, nor would that be my place to. But um, Rob is super talented and needs to be out there making more movies. Uh, Yeah, and it was such a blast in terms of like me, just like, like, because something with, I don't know if this is public knowledge. I feel like Larry and I, every time we go on a podcast, we talk about this, but when we, when it comes to like me, but I'll just talk about it here too. The budget for like me was supposed to be like, we were, this, the original script was a much bigger budget and it was, um, going to take place in the desert. So it's kind of like a road, it was a road trip desert movie um, we were going to build all these motels and all this stuff. And then, you know, when it 
when it came down to actually making it, we were like, well, we can make it for this much lower budget, but actually make it right now. Or we could, you know, wait. And who wants to wait for something that may or may not be real? So we all collectively decided we were just going to do it. And so he rewrote elements of the script to make it take place in New York. And we have the New York tax credit in New York. So we wanted to shoot here. And then we were like, okay, well, how do we get the road trip element across? Um, And we decided... uh, uh, Jesslyn Abbott, who, who I mentioned before, one of my uh, co-producers on that, she found this amazing motel around um, uh, the Rockaways, which if you haven't been to New York, it's like the beach, the beach area of New York. So she found, but it's been decimated because of hurricanes, like Hurricane Sandy. So it's this weird... Um, especially when you're shooting there in December, it's this weird, like it, like memory of a beach, of a beach town, but it's not, it's like kind of falling apart too. So we made the road trip element, like using that motel and it's crazy rooms. Like we didn't, des- we didn't build those rooms. That was a real motel. Um, and then, uh, we, so we shot there, and then we also shot in upstate New York. So that's how we created this, like, um, the road trip and this feeling of, like, expanse um, and these different landscapes from, you know, the water to the woods. And uh, and then we found another theme motel in upstate New York, too, where we shot some of the other hotel room stuff. So Rob was really great about um, – and, and this is what you have to do when you're making indie movies, like – you have to embrace the elements that the environment provides and figure out how you're going to approach them for your story specifically. So Rob was like really amazing at um, figuring out the uh, creating this aesthetic. I like, you don't see this aesthetic in a feature that often Um, he was really great about embracing our challenges and, you know, creating cohesion them now when when you get a script like like me as a producer is it your job to kind of figure out what the movie really is like do you get a lot of directors and writers who write something but they don't have the um the proper scope of what it's actually going to look like i mean the director's job is to come in and tell you show you what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like so when i produce something I have a pretty good idea at least what the intentions are so again going back to you know talking about directing before it's like the director's job is to get everybody on the same page with what the overall vision is and what the overall aesthetic is so what was really cool about like me is in addition to some of those teasers I mentioned before he also had um, links within the script. So if you're reading on your laptop, you could just click the link and it would take you to a video. So it was like, and now there's a montage and this montage is going to feel like that. And you click the link in the script and then you watch a Vimeo video that is, you know, uh, was a teaser version of what ultimately we would shoot. So that was really cool. And I haven't seen that in other scripts since then or before. Yeah, that's got to be a great way to get like aesthetic across. Like, I want it to look like this. Lighting's warm. We're going to be building buildings in the desert. And then then is it your job to be like, yeah, the desert and the buildings are gone? (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, actually, it's like, okay, well, we're not making it for this amount of money. So here's how, here's a new approach. Like, can we take this, move it to New York? Um, can we shoot it, like, in this area, in this area? You know, sometimes you have to shoot specific places for crew. Like, so if you can't put your crew up, you need to shoot within the zone. Anyway, there's all these, like, rules or whatever that, as a producer, you have to choose how you're going to design the production, the director has to decide how they're going to design the film and the producer is designing the production, how you're going to approach actually making this thing. And if you have a good relationship, like, you know, obviously the director and producer relationship are really important because you have to be on the same page with everything. And it, it, it kind of has to go back and forth. The director has to know when to adjust and tweak their vision. And the producer also knows when something's really important and you need to fight for it. So, well, goddamn, is the production of Like Me incredibly gorgeous? Mm-hmm. I I am shocked to hear that you were going to be building buildings in the desert. Like, what what was the idea there? Was the whole thing going to take in like a dystopia, like urban settlement? No, no, no. So it was like a, it was like a road trip through the desert. Um, and when I say building, I just mean like. A set. You would stay at different motels in the desert, but you would actually build your sets I on gotcha. the stage. Yeah, and it's crazy because I I can tell people have asked you if you built the sets in this film prior because you're so quick to be like we didn't. They they were amazing. Did did you even paint them or anything, or were those existing already? They were existing in this oh, really damn. cool themed motel. Um, and sadly the motel closed down maybe a year ago. So now you can't even stay at the motel, but that that's like, you could stay like if just, if you're like, I want to go on vacation to the Rockaways, you could choose to stay in the blood room. You could choose to stay in the ocean room. Like each room had this different vibe. Wait, they really had a blood room. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's what we called it. We called it the blood room, but it's, you know, and like me, it's that dripping, yeah. the ceiling yeah. is all red, and there's uh I wouldn't want to uh, stay in there. Yeah, but what else would you call it? It's like the candle wax room, the <laughs> maker's work. Like, it's clearly blood. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? That's hell. I don't know. I The movie has such a precision in the way it looks that I'm shocked to find out that there were a lot of set changes. Like, one of my favorite moments of that movie. Now, I, Jen, I have to tell you, I've thought a lot about this film. <laughs> and again, it's the social media thing. I feel like it's a movie about um, kind of corrupted communication. And we, we see this, this girl kind of struggle f- to communicate with people. And she puts more value on social media interaction than real interactions. And then you get beautiful scenes where she has, she's sitting at a diner with a homeless man. Yeah. And she can't appreciate the moment. It's, it's mm-hmm. more like she's already two steps ahead of how are people going to look at this or, you know, like, what, what does the outside world think of me? And there's, there's a moment where they're camping. And I'll tell you the road movie element here. I love that it's in an urban setting. I feel like it creates this surrealist world outside of hotel rooms. And, mm-hmm. and, and it really reads to like an agoraphobic community we live in. Like, I'm yeah. I'm boring Clark to death here. I'm <laughs> I mean, I get worried that people we live, you know, on our laptop in a film fest now. Yeah. And and, and it's our reality, it's our room. And then you go outside and it's kind of foreign and it's anxious and you're just trying to move from A to B. And when when they stopped and they had the campfire 
and you get that moment where the campfire turns into a stacked pyramid of TVs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that was like a profound image for me. And it's yeah. just it's just like god damn it, that's like the front room. Except the campfire would draw attention, but it's really not there's nothing there. Like it's not a narrative in its own device where a TV is. Yeah. Jen, am I am I a crazy person or <laughs> I can answer no. that, yes. We were like collecting TVs off the side of the road. I'd be like like in our pre-production time, you know, I, I live in Brooklyn. I'd be like walking down the street in Brooklyn and see a TV that someone was leaving, a tube TV, and then I'd be like, ah, I have to grab that. I have to like carry this thing back home somehow. Um <laughs> Now, when when you're producing do you you actually are kind of in control of the props that make up the frame, right? Well, or, you have your production designer who's okay. in charge of that. As a producer, you don't you're not um, as a producer, my job is to make sure the art department has the money they need in order to go buy the props that they need. Now, Jen, I, I, we got to go back to this TV thing. Uh, Russell just powered <laughs> through that. Did you have some sort of device to carry the TV, Jen? Because th- these are very heavy. Tube TVs are not light. <laughs> I know. No, I would like call my boyfriend to come help me. Like, okay. hey, I'm at this block. There's a tube TV. Can you help me carry okay, it? Okay, good. I just was hoping you were, didn't walk 30 blocks with a tube TV. I did not. Okay, good. That That's could be its own movie. That's a hernia waiting. Somebody have. walking around with a TV in New York <laughs> just on this yeah. journey. I. Oh. All right. Contact Larry Clark. <laughs> like, that's up his alley. All right, Russ, we've taken enough of gin time. You got anything you're, else? You're unplugging me right now? I'm, I we just want to the- tell you, Like Me was beautiful and I loved it. The Ranger I found incredibly thought-provoking. When if, Now, I'll be completely honest. When I first saw The Ranger, I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, punk's not my scene, but it definitely works as a slasher. I love the idea of um, public servant being flipped. Like, Maniac Cop didn't really do it for me because mm-hmm. it's like, well, the police are an or- they're a large group and... You know, you would hope there would be self-regulation. We might be learning otherwise now. But, you know, in an urban setting, I don't know. It feels like, well, get an EMT or something. We're out in the <laughs> woods. It's kind of like the Rangers that catch all. Sure. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, you're really fucked. Yeah. If, if the Rangers are It's his back. mountain. Yeah. He owns it and he knows it better and he's got the the tools for it. Yeah. And, um, you know, watching it again, I it's, it's just so good. And, uh, Jen, thank you for taking the time out to... Let me ramble on at you about this. Oh, my God. Thank you, guys. This is so much fun. So, Jen, uh, what's next for you? And I know next. that can be a, a difficult question, and, you know, Lord knows what's next for any of us as, you know, COVID yeah. is still going on. But uh, w- w- what's going on? Yeah, I would say that is a difficult question because who knows what the next what the next few months will hold, let alone what the next few weeks will hold. Right. Um, yeah, I'm just like writing. I'm just trying to really use this time to write and prep new projects and be ready for when, you know, things go back to normal. Oh, an optimist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for the aliens in 2021. So <laughs> now and Jen Clark's going to get mad at me. Yes. Are you a found footage fan? Uh, I wouldn't say I'm the biggest found footage fan. All right, we're going to sick Madeline on you. We're going to change that. <laughs> and I'm, I'll tell you, as the niche group within the horror community, we're kind of at the uh, the bottom rung of the ladder. So we need all the, the fans we can get. But since Clark's cutting me off, I'll save that for another day. 
Okay. Are you a big found footage fan? Yeah, we do a film fest that's found footage only with Madeline. I wish this girl would like tell her friends. So yeah, <laughs> if you ever need um, recommendations for an in-camera, in-world camera narrative. Unfortunately, we know all too much. I know. It. Have you ever seen Host? I did see Host. Host was so good. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Were you like, were you like, it's so good because it's cute, or were you like, wow, they're really subverting the studio narrative here? Uh, I don't think they subverted the studio narrative. I think that they embraced a lot of studio um, jump scares and stuff, and they did it really effectively. Uh, surprisingly so, because you know, shooting during a pandemic uh, and in the way that they shot, like through Zoom and with a tiny crew and stuff. I think that they made a really effective movie. You nailed it. Yep. And I hope you realize now that's that project's calling you. We get a found footage film out of Jen. That'd be awesome. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> that's uh, Russell's not so secret narrative to every guest that we have. <laughs> I'm trying to bring him over to the that's dark right. side. <laughs> well, Jen, uh, we wish you nothing but the best. Uh, keep us posted. And uh, we're waiting for that next Jen Wexler movie. All right. Thanks, guys. This is a lot of fun. Thank you. Stay safe.